Welcome to the Royal Ramble Wrestling Podcast on this Thursday, June the 8th, 2017, live here on itsyourradio.com. I am your host, Brian Sinek. Joining me, as always, is the co-host, Ryan Motorola. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Brian. I'm doing good, man. How about you? Doing pretty good myself, man. Yes, right, people. Royal Ramble is back on the air for you guys, and we have a great show for you ahead as there is a lot to talk about in the world of professional wrestling of course this past sunday we're coming off the heels of extreme rules uh, a lot to get into that uh, about of course uh the number one contender for the universal championship get our thoughts on who won that matchup plus the rest of the card also guys give you our weekly recap of raw smackdown live and nxt smackdown live of course are uh, still moving ahead to Money in the Bank, which happens 10 days from now, and more added to the show um, for next week. Uh, a couple more title matches have been officially announced for the show, so we'll give our thoughts on that, plus some NXT talk, as it looks like we're seeing a potential feud coming up for Roger Strong and Bobby Roode, plus some more going on with the Yellow Brand. But also, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, this past Saturday was the finals of the best of the Super Juniors Tournament. We'll talk about the winner of that tournament, give our thoughts on the match itself between Will Ospreay and Kushida. And of course, people, this Sunday, the biggest one-night event of the summer for New Japan Pro Wrestling, that is Dominion, going on this Sunday in Osaka, Japan, a heck of a card of course, headlined by the rematch of the century between Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada, plus some other great rematches from Wrestle Kingdom 11, like Tetsuya Naito versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the Intercontinental Championship. The Young Bucks, back in Japan, will take on Rapungi Vice for the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships, plus some other great action. So in the second hour, we're going to give you guys our thoughts, our preview, and our prediction for that show. Before we get into everything, guys, of course, you know the deal. You want to follow us on social media, go right ahead on Twitter at Royal Ramble IYR. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Royal Ramble Wrestling. Also, follow us on Instagram at Royal Ramble Wrestling. If you happen to miss us live here on itsyourradio.com, don't forget, hit the subscribe button. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Also, give us a rating. What do you guys think of our show? Do we go, do we do a good job? Do you not like us? Give your give your thoughts to us, guys. We want to hear from you. And that's the gist, guys. All right, so let's get right into it, Ryan. Extreme Rules took place this past Sunday. You were in attendance at the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. And, of course, the match that everyone was looking forward to the most was the main event match, the Fatal Five-Way, to determine the next number one contender for the missing Universal Championship and its champion, Brock Lesnar, Great Balls of Fire. Uh, we gave our predictions, of course, on the last episode of this show, uh, and we went through the odds, who has the best odds to win the match and who has the least odds, the lowest odds to win this match. And we both agreed, Ryan, that Samoa Joe 
had the lowest odds because of the simple reason that he has the least amount of experience on the main roster. He really hasn't had that defining moment yet on the main roster other than, of course, his debut when he took out Seth Rollins. And when you're in the same match with a Seth Rollins, a Roman Reigns, a Finn Balor, and a Bray Wyatt, all former world champions, it's tough to think that you could actually pull it off. Well, Ryan, both me and you were dead wrong as it was Samoa Joe out of all people, that walked out the winner of this match, and he is the new number one contender for the Universal Championship. Completely shocked, I really was. Uh, there were definitely some people out there that predicted Samoa Joe was going to win this match, like Booker T on the uh, the pre-show. He gave his predictions. He said Samoa Joe was going to win this match, and Booker T, you were right. As Samoa Joe, thanks to the Kakina Clutch, which is now becoming his trademark finisher, uh, no more Muscle Buster. It's now the Kakina Clutch as the number one finisher for Samoa Joe. He made Finn Balor pass out. The referee had to stop the match and reward the victory to Samoa Joe. And now, at Great Balls of Fire, it's going to be him versus Brock Lesnar. Now, usually in these types of stuff that happens, I usually bash WWE for making a move like this to give an opportunity this early to a guy that really hasn't proven a lot on the main roster. But I really can't bash WWE with this one for a couple of reasons. Number one, I am a huge supporter and a big fan of Samoa Joe. I know how talented this guy is. A lot of people know how talented this guy is. I've been watching him wrestle for over a decade. He has been so good wherever he's gone. So I'm absolutely happy that he's getting this opportunity, all right? Because if there's any guy that deserves an opportunity such like this, it's Samoa Joe. He's earned it. Great for Samoa Joe. But I'm also kind of happy that WWE, at the same time, went the unpredictable route. Because, let's be honest, if a guy like Finn Balor, a guy like Roman Reigns, and even a guy like Seth Rollins won this match, a lot of people, like myself, would have been like, alright, you know, they went the easy way out. You know, it was kind of predictable because this guy or this guy is the obvious choice. They didn't do that. When Samoa Joe won that match... A lot of people who were watching the show there live and on their on WWE Network, they were surprised because they didn't think Samoa Joe was at that point yet in his WWE career where he's going to get such an opportunity. Because again, you know Finn Balor is an obvious choice. You know he's one of the hottest, biggest stars on Raw. He still hasn't gotten his rightful rematch for that championship. You would think that he was the favorite. People would pick Seth Rollins because he's Seth Rollins, and people would pick Roman Reigns because he's the face of the company. But no, WWE went a different route. They said, you know what? We're not going to take the easy way out here. We're going to surprise people, and we're going to give this victory to Samoa Joe, and I'm kind of happy that they did that. Now, again, part of me still thinks it's early for Samoa Joe, but who really cares? You know, because I've said it before on this show, who are... The type of people that can take it to Brock Lesnar, all right? There are only a select few people that can give Brock Lesnar a competitive matchup. One is Braun Strowman, but we all know his case. He's out with an injury. And the other is Samoa Joe. Because look at Samoa Joe. He's big, just like Brock Lesnar. He's great athletically, just as Brock Lesnar. He's got experience like Brock Lesnar. And I'm not sure how WWE can... Go the route they've gone with with Brock Lesnar, you know, because let's be honest, the past four years of Brock Lesnar's run with the WWE has been the same narrative. Whoever he steps in the ring with, he obliterates. And the list goes on of guys that he's obliterated. He's obliterated John Cena. 
He's destroyed Roman Reigns. He's destroyed Seth Rollins. He's destroyed Dean Ambrose. He's destroyed Randy Orton. If you're not a part-timer, you're going to get destroyed by Brock Lesnar because those are the only guys that have given Brock matches. The Undertaker has been competitive with Brock. So has Triple H. The non-part-timers, the full-timers, the future of this company have not been able to hang with Brock Lesnar. Is the same going to happen with Samoa Joe? I'm not sure how WWE pulls that off. And let's be honest, if they ever did that, if they had Brock Lesnar demolish Samoa Joe the way they've had Brock Lesnar demolish the rest of the roster, that is a joke. Because, again, look at Samoa Joe. He's just as big, just as athletic, just as mean, just as bad as Brock Lesnar. So I'm intrigued about this. Now, I've said it before about past Brock Lesnar matches that I'm very intrigued I said the same thing about Dean Ambrose, and that match turned out to be a huge disappointment. I said it about Randy Orton, that I was so intrigued to see what's going to happen between Orton and Brock, and that match turned out to be a disappointment. This time around, I'm feeling confident, Ryan. I am confident that we're going to see a competitive match, because if we don't, then WWE, they got to stop with this crap, right? Because let's be honest. I like Brock Lesnar. I have nothing against Brock Lesnar. He's a great talent. He's a big draw, maybe the biggest draw in that company, and he does great work for the WWE. But the way they booked this guy so dominantly, I was a part of it in the beginning when it's all started with this whole Suplex City stuff, when he destroyed John Cena. In the beginning, I was a fan of it. It was pretty cool. But as things move on, they get old. And this whole Suplex City thing has gotten old completely, in my opinion. Others may disagree, but I'm one of the people that just doesn't like this stuff anymore. And I actually want to see somebody give Brock Lesnar a competitive match. And you have to think, Ryan, that Samoa Joe could be that guy. And I'm hoping he could be that guy. Now, am I going to sit here and say that Samoa Joe is going to win this match? I don't think he's going to win this match. And I don't think he should. Even though I've been dying to see someone take the bell for Brock Lesnar, is Samoa Joe the right guy? I'm not so sure. It depends on how WWE books Samoa Joe the next coming weeks. And so far, they're off to a great start with his segment with Paul Heyman on Raw, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But we need to see a competitive match, right? Enough with this Suplex City Brock Lesnar domination crap. It's starting to get old. Have these future guys, these younger full-timers, actually give Brock Lesnar a competitive match. And I am confident, Ryan, that Samoa Joe is going to be able to do that because he matches Brock in size, in ability, in in athleticism, in meanness, in toughness. Samoa Joe can match up with Brock Lesnar in many different ways possible. So overall, Ryan, the match itself was tremendous was without a doubt the best match of the night. It got off to a little bit of a slow start, but as the match picked on, it got better and better and better. The back and forth stuff, the the near falls, the big moments in the match were so exciting to watch. And I was shocked, Ryan. I, I was completely shocked to see Samoa Joe pull out the victory, but guess what? At the same time, it's great to be shocked because that ha- that doesn't happen a lot in WWE these days. You know, they go the predictable route a lot of times. We rarely see these types of moments happen where... You didn't see that coming, or holy crap, I didn't think that guy was going to win this match. And that was the moment we saw this Sunday, Ryan, to see Samoa Joe outlast four former world champions and to be the one to get the opportunity to, to fight Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. Great moment. I really am. I You would think I would not like this because I'm one of those people that doesn't like to see things get rushed, 
But this felt perfect because it was a shocking moment, and the guy Samoa Joe is ready for the challenge. I think he is ready for that challenge to face Brock Lesnar, and I cannot wait to see these two collide at Great Balls of Fire in the next coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, it was a great match, like you said. Damn good main event for this pay-per-view. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. This started out a little bit slow, but like you said, it got way better. A couple of great spots in the match. Uh, you know, Seth Rollins doing the frog splash onto Bray Wyatt on the table. Then Roman Reigns spearing uh, both Samoa Joe and Finn Balor through the barricade. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. I thought, for the most part, delivered. Uh, all five guys, kudos to them. They put on one hell of a showing. And congrats to Samoa Joe, like you said, who shocked everybody by picking up the win. I think it's a huge upset because, like you said, Brian, I don't think anybody really expected Samoa Joe to win. I mean, there was a couple of people here and there. And I did think, uh, you know, last weekend when, uh, you know, a couple of days before the pay-per-view, the betting odds come out, which they usually do from Vegas. And uh, Samoa Joe was, you know, the odds-on favorite to win. But I didn't believe that for a second because... And it just didn't seem realistic to me because, let's face it, Samoa Joe, like you said, what has he done so far in the WWE? I mean, he was NXT champion. He, he did some great things down in NXT, but I'm talking on the main roster. What has he done? He hasn't won a lot of matches. Uh, his you know his last pay-per-view match uh, on against Seth Rollins at Payback, he lost. So he doesn't really win a lot. He's kind of just there. Uh, and to the surprise of everybody, he actually picked up a huge win at Extreme Rules, and now he will be facing Brock Lesnar, like you said, for the Universal title, and it's awesome. It really is. I mean, this is like a dream match for a lot of people. I know it's a dream match for me and you, Brian. This is a match we hoped we would see you know, at some point, and let's face it, Brock Lesnar's window is getting smaller and smaller. Uh, I think after WrestleMania next year, I think he's done. I don't think, you know, he's going to re-sign. I think, you know, Vince is probably going to do everything he can to try and get him to re-sign. But I just don't know why Brock would come back and sign another deal. I mean, who is he going to face? He's basically faced everybody that there is to face. And now he's going through, you know, Samoa Joe. There's rumors of him going, at, you know, for Bray Wyatt. I mean, uh, Braun Strowman at SummerSlam. Then Seth Rollins down the line. Maybe Finn Balor. And then Roman Reigns again. So he's facing guys again for a second time. Why? There's nothing else that he could possibly do. So I think this is his last run with this belt. So you might as well throw Samoa Joe in there and have this dream matchup because who knows if we're ever going to see it if we don't see it now. So the time is definitely now. Uh, it's great to see, like you said. I'm pumped for it. And he's the most realistic guy to take this belt off of Brock Lesnar right now. I mean, you can make a case that Roman Reigns is, is just as, you know... Uh, just as big as him and as strong as him and could possibly take that belt off of him as well. But if you just look at Samoa Joe, I mean, this guy is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brock Lesnar. How does that not excite you right there? Especially after what happened on Raw this past Monday with Paul Heyman, how he put Paul Heyman in the uh, Kikina clutch. I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, the buildup is already awesome. And then we're going to see Brock Lesnar next week. And it's must-see TV to see him confront Samoa Joe. So I think this is going to be a good match. Uh, unfortunately, I do think it's going to be a one-off. But like you said, Brian, I hope there's some you know, more offense than what we've seen in typical Brock Lesnar matches. You can't just have him go in there and suplex the shit out of Samoa Joe. Again, it's just not going to look realistic. Again, a guy of Samoa Joe's size, you have to make this match as physical as it possibly can be. Because that is what people are going to tune in to see. Uh, and that's a big money draw right there. So you can't just have Lesnar go in there and toy with him. So I hope, like you said, uh, you know, it's a very 
uh, physical match, back and forth, and I hope Joe gets a lot of offense in. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but already the build is awesome, and uh, I'm glad they went with Samoa Joe instead of Finn Balor. The last thing you want to do is to have Brock Lesnar, like you said, Ryan, suplex the shit out of Samoa Joe like 10 to 12 times. Samoa Joe gets some sort of offense, but not a lot. And then, Bro- and then Brock Lesnar comes back, wins the match with an F5. That is the least thing you want to do. Again, you know, because, like, let's be honest, Ryan, it, it will not look believable. If you have Brock Lesnar go out there and just annihilate Samoa Joe, it will hurt Samoa Joe's image of being this ultra-tough guy. I don't know how you could bring Samoa Joe back if he gets obliterated by Brock Lesnar. And I don't want to hear from fans, oh, but it's Brock Lesnar. Yeah, but this is Samoa Joe. Alright, this is no ordinary person. This is Samoa freaking Joe, a guy where, whatever he's gone, has always been the badass, has always been the dominant force. He cannot be out-dominated by Brock Lesnar at the greatest of heights. Now, yes, Brock will get his suplexes in, but don't go too far with it. Like they've done with John Cena, like they've done with Roman Reigns, where Brock suplexes both guys 15 times. You cannot do that with Samoa Joe. It will not look real. And people are pumped for this match. The worst thing you can do is disappoint them like you've disappointed them with other matches with Brock against guys like Roman Reigns and Randy Orton and Dean Ambrose. You cannot do that in this matchup. It has to be as competitive as it could be. Because like you said, Ryan, this could be the only encounter these two guys have if Brock Lesnar decides to retire after his contract is up. So, if this is going to be the only match they have, you want it to be as competitive as competitive as it could be. You really need to do that this time, right? WWE, especially Vince McMahon, who was going to be the one to make the decisions and to make the call on how this match is going to go, he better not go back to that old stupid booking decision of having Brock Lesnar squash another opponent. Because this time around, it's not going to be believable when he's facing a guy that's just as big just as mean as him. That's what Samoa Joe is. Samoa Joe, you can consider, you know, throughout his run in TNA and and Ring of Honor, he was the Brock Lesnar of those companies back then. You cannot have him get embarrassed, obliterated by Brock Lesnar, because I don't know how you can bring Samoa Joe back from that if that does happen, because there is a realistic possibility that it does happen, because, again, you just don't know what WWE... And when it comes to Brock Lesnar matches, they have always been the same. So I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a guarantee that we're going to have a great competitive match between Joe and Brock. That's no guarantee. It would not surprise me if Brock goes out there and destroys Samoa Joe. But at the same time, it will infuriate me because we all know that is not real. Because in a real-life fight, in a great booking match... Brock and Joe can tear the roof off. Both guys know how to wrestle. Both guys are big. They're physical. They're mean. They're tough. They can deliver a great matchup. But Vince is is too much in love of this whole Suplex City stuff. It has to end eventually. Somebody has to get in the Brock's face and teach him a lesson. And, I, and I'm not talking about a part-timer like Goldberg and Taker, right? Because, again, those two those two names are so iconic that we all knew that Brock was not going to get away with easy victories from those two guys. All right? I'm speaking about the full-timers. The last full-timer to give Brock Lesnar a competitive matchup is CM Punk. And that was what... 
five, four or five years ago, we have not seen a full-timer since then give Brock Lesnar a competitive matchup. Not John Cena, not Roman Reigns, not Seth Rollins, not Dean Ambrose, not Bray Wyatt when he's had his encounters, and not Randy Orton. And those are big names. And they got squashed by Brock Lesnar. And, of course, Brock had a big advantage. He's bigger than them. This time around, it's different. Brock's facing a, a guy just as big as him. He's booked as a monster to Samoa Joe. He's a monster. He's a monster. That's all you can say with Samoa Joe. So I'm hoping that this is not the same narrative that they've done in the past with Brock Lesnar because, again, it will not look real. And how could you bring back Samoa Joe after the booking? If Samoa Joe comes back, then it would look so weird. After Great Balls of Fire, Brock Lesnar destroys Samoa Joe. You know how awkward it's going to look to see Samoa Joe once again in a wrestling ring trying to be the dominant force? It's going to look very, very weird because Brock Lesnar, it, 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 that, that's all I can say. No, there's really nothing to say. You, you just cannot have this booking happen at this match. And again, they're off to a great start with the booking. You know, with, with Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman, the build-up right now is off to a good start. Brock's coming back next week for the first time in, what, two and a half months, which is absurd. To see that the Universal Champion, the top championship on the brand, has yet to be seen on the show in two and a half months. So I am actually looking forward to seeing Brock come back next week. And hopefully we get the first stare off between Brock and Samoa Joe. But I have the fears, Ryan, that Vince McMahon is going to stick to his, his old school booking of having Brock Lesnar squash another opponent. And it has, it, it's worked sometimes in the past, Vince. It's not going to work this time. You cannot have Brock Lesnar demolish Samoa Joe the way you've had Brock Lesnar demolish the rest of the talent that he's faced in the past five years. Which are very big names, by the way. You cannot do that again this time. Especially against a guy like Samoa Joe. Now, could you get away with it with Finn Balor? Yes, you could. Because Brock Lesnar's got, what, 100 pounds advantage of Finn Balor? Could you get it, Could you get away with it with, you know, with a guy like Seth Rollins? Yeah. Could you get away with it with a guy like even Bray Wyatt? Yeah. This time around, you can't get away with this. Because people are too interested in this matchup. They are. They see Samoa Joe. They're like, man, this guy's a badass. This guy's a beast. You know what? I think he could take it to Brock Lesnar. What if we don't see that? You know how many people are going to be disappointed? Like myself and you, Ryan? I'm going to be furious if they go that route with Brock Lesnar killing Rome, uh, Excuse me, Samoa Joe. Cannot do it this time. Hopefully they don't do it. And I am interested. I'm interested in the matchup. But at the same time, Ryan, I have those fears that Vince McMahon will have the same narrative like he's done in the past with Brock Lesnar. And that has Brock come out, suplex the shit out of his opponent, what, 10 times the minimum. His opponent comes back with a couple of big shots. But then at the very end, Brock dominates again. F5 matches over. That's my fear. And I'm hoping they don't go that same route because a guy like Samoa Joe does not deserve to be a part of that. Joe deserves to get his fair share, and he deserves to give Brock Lesnar a huge battle. And that's what I'm hoping for. But, Ryan, I do have those fears, and I'm hoping those fears don't come re don't come into reality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how can you not have those type of fears when basically that's the only thing we've seen out of Brock Lesnar for the past, what, 
half a year and a half, maybe two years at this point. I mean, I don't even know how long he's just been dominating his opponents. I mean, I think ever since he beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania, he's just been this dominant force where nobody can touch him and nobody can get any offensive maneuvers on on him. I mean, it's ridiculous, like you said, but now he's facing somebody who is, you know, just as big as him, just as dominant as him, is just as big of a monster as he is. Uh, so again, like you said, you can't play around this time. You cannot book him the way we've seen him, you know, being booked in the past. You just can't. And again, I could definitely see it going that way, though. I mean, look at how it went with Goldberg. Now, I know, you know, Goldberg, again, you know, wrestles like a minute and a half matches or whatever. But I mean, basically, Brock dominated him at WrestleMania. And again, you just you, you never know with WWE. Again, you just you never know. The build has been so good right now for the Samoa Joe Brock encounter, uh, and it's only been like two days. But still, I mean, the way they've been booking it lately just you know says to me like that you just can't you can't screw this up from here on out. I mean, Brock comes back next week. He's gonna go toe to toe with Samoa Joe face to face again. When you see that image, when you see that picture of those two guys in the ring, how? How in the world can you book it as if Brock Lesnar is just going to dominate the shit out of Samoa Joe and Joe's not going to get any moves in? Again, it makes no sense. It honestly would make no sense if that's the way it goes down. Like you said, I hope it doesn't because how do you bring Joe back after that? Uh, as it is, when he loses, it's going to be tough to bring him back because, you know, again, if he loses a hard-fought ba hard battle— it's a little bit easier, okay, you can bring him back, but he's going to lose a little bit of momentum. Again, he couldn't get the job done against a guy like Brock Lesnar. It's going to make him lose a little bit of his momentum that he's got going right now. So in the first place, it's going to be tough to bring him back. So God only knows that if they book him the way, you know, we think they're going to be booking him. God, I mean, it's just trouble from there on out. So hopefully not, but we'll see what happens. As for the rest of Extreme Rules, um, was not a fan of the show, Ryan. Uh, I didn't get the chance to watch it live. I got the chance to watch it the very next day. I had planned Sunday night. But uh, from what I saw, other than the main event match, Ryan, not a lot that I liked. Uh, if I had to throw out some positives, um, Austin Aries versus Neville for the Cruiserweight Championship, very, very good match. Uh, probably their best match that they've had during this uh, feud, which has gone on now for about two and a half months, ever since uh, the build-up to WrestleMania. Uh, Neville retained the belt, no shocker there. Great ending, by the way, too. He hits the uh, the red arrow, and then he you know transitions it into the um, the rings of Saturn. Uh, Austin Aries really had no choice but to tap out, uh, and that puts a bow basically on that feud. As Neville now focuses focuses on a new challenger, who's that challenger going to be? It's a toss up. It could be T.J. Perkins, who they you know who Neville wrestled at two or five live. It could be Tazawa. It could be Cedric Alexander. It could be even be a guy like Brian Kendrick. We don't know for sure, but all we do know is that Neville's going to get a new challenger. And as for as far as Austin Aries goes, who the heck knows? There's been rumors that he could take some time off. Maybe that's the best for Aries, and hopefully when he comes back, they should turn him heel. I, I think that's the thing that Austin Aries needs to do when he comes back. That he should be a heel. Uh, I like his face work. I really do. But Austin Aries has made a name for himself throughout the wrestling world as a heel. And that, and that might be the best thing for him moving forward as he sticks with 205 Live. But at the same time, Ryan, I don't want to see Aries at 205 Live anymore. I just don't. I want this guy to be doing bigger things on the main roster because we know he's capable of doing that. I want to see him on a Raw, feuding for the Intercontinental Championship, feuding with The Miz, feuding with Dean Ambrose, feuding with all the mid-carters, and then possibly down the road, 
get a world title shot against a Seth Rollins or a Roman Reigns. Or on SmackDown, he feuds for the U.S. Championship, fights guys like Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin again and Nakamura again. And then possibly go to a world title match with AJ Styles um, and Randy Orton. That's what I want to see with this guy because he's better off doing that. And even a guy like Neville, even though Neville has been booked tremendously as the Cruiserweight Champion and as the face of 205 Live... We know he's better than this. Yes, he fits the Cruiserweight bill, but Neville can do so much better. This heel turn has really changed Neville's career where let's see what he can do as a mid-carder. Let's see what he can do possibly chasing and capturing the World Championship. But do I have that sense that WWE's going to pull that? No, because they're focused on 205 Live. Are they ever going to strip this show? Right now, I don't see it because it's more programming for the network. It's more eyes on the network. But for guys like Neville, for guys like Austin Aries, who we all know how talented they are. They're great talents. And they've done a good job of trying to make 205 Live relevant. We all know they can do better. So hopefully, at some point, Mr. McMahon sits there and says, you know what? Aries, Neville, they mean a lot to 205 Live, but we know these guys can do a lot better. But do I have that sense? I do not. But that's one positive. I thought that match was really good. Uh, the Miz becoming Intercontinental Champion, thank God. Even though the stipulations of the match was very, very stupid, I'm just happy that the Miz won. All right, I don't care what the stipulation was. I don't care how the match went down. All I care about is the Miz becoming champion. And thank God they went that route because, again... I like Dean Ambrose. I'm a fan of him. He's a good talent. He's a good worker. But his current run as Intercontinental Champion has been dreadful. It's been brutal to watch because he's more about doing goofy things than really defending that championship where The Miz is all about being the champion, all right? For so long, the Intercontinental Championship has been so irrelevant. And that's a shame because... The Intercontinental Championship has a tremendous history. At one point, that title was bigger than the World Championship. Back in the 90s, that title was viewed more as a bigger championship. And for so long, it really hasn't been looked at as a prestigious title. The only guy that has come close to making this title prestigious and relevant has been The Miz. And we all know that he can make this belt relevant once again because that's how good The Miz is. And I'm happy as hell... That he's a champion again. But then that question comes up again, Ryan. How long is he going to be the champion? With the way WWE plays hot potato these days, are we going to see a lengthy, great run for the by The Miz with this championship? I'm not sold on that because in this day and age, any talent can hold a championship. That's where we're at right now with the WWE. Any talent. If they get booked, if they get TV time, and if they get opportunities... Anybody can hold a championship. So I'm hoping to see The Miz get a nice run as champion. The feud with Dean Ambrose is not over with yet. But I am happy that The Miz is champion. And he's a seven-time champion. He's two uh, title wins away from tying Chris Jericho's record for most runs as Intercontinental Champion. Will he ever break that? Who the hell knows? But uh, it, it is great to see him back as champion because we all know that Dean Ambrose did not do a good job. And in order to bring that IC title back to relevancy, the only man that can do that is The Miz. So I'm really happy to see that. That was a, a good match, I guess, and a great booking decision. And the Austin Aries-Neville uh, match was great and a good booking decision. For the rest of the show, not so great. We'll let Ryan give his positives. And then after that, 
we got to dive into the negatives of the show. And trust me, I looked at the show with a lot of negatives. So, Ryan, your thoughts on some of the other positives of the show? Yeah, um, those two definitely. Uh, I, I totally agree with you on the Austin Aries Neville match. I thought that was one of the best matches that they have had out of the three that they did have. Uh, again, no surprise that Neville picked up the win and retained the belt. It's a shame the Austin Aries is now going to go away for a little bit, take some time off. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do. I really don't. It's really a shame that he never got the chance to become the Cruiserweight champ. I hope at some point he does because he definitely deserves it. Uh, again, I said this last week. He's just at, He was at the wrong place. He was at the right place at the wrong time. And uh, unfortunately for him, uh, who knows where he goes from here. Neville continues his reign as the king of the Cruiserweights, so that was pretty cool. I thought the IC title match was very, very fun. I really did. Uh, again, we mentioned stupid stipulation to begin with, but I do like how they kind of went with the stipulation, you know, a little bit, you know, by having Maurice slap the Miz and try and get him to squal- try to get Dean Ambrose disqualified. Also, the Miz, uh, the Miz throwing Dean Ambrose into the referee. I mean, I thought they played it up pretty well. I thought it was a lot of fun, a great opener for for the pay per view. And like you said, thank God the Miz picked up the win and is now a seven time Intercontinental Champion. Uh, definitely deserving of it, like you said. Definitely going to ba- bring some relevancy back to the belt. Uh, I'm going to be more interested to see the matches for the IC title now and see what the Miz does and who he feuds with moving forward from here on out. Um, it looks like Dean Ambrose is not done with him yet, even though I do think that match should happen on a Raw, uh, not at the Great Bulls of Fire pay-per-view. It should happen on a Raw maybe next week, the week after, uh, and then that should be done. I-, I think you know the Miz cheats to win somehow. And then that's it. Dean Ambrose, get away from the IC title. Go do something else. Because, again, like you said, it's just I'm getting sick and tired of seeing him uh, fight the Miz for this belt. Again, it's a waste of time. We know Dean Ambrose ain't winning it back now. His run with the belt was dreadful. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Miz feud with Roman Reigns now for the summer uh, through SummerSlam. And who knows what's going to happen there. Roman probably win the IC title at this point. Um, but who knows? I think, you know, that's the smart way to go because I don't know where The Miz goes from here either. I don't know who he feuds with next. So a feud with Roman Reigns, I think, would help The Miz, uh, you know, in the future. So we'll see what happens. Thank God he won. Uh, but those two were definitely positives. As for the whole show, though, I really didn't think it was too bad. I, I could see why, you know, there would be uh, some negatives because some weird booking decisions. But for the most part, I thought the show was pretty fun. Again, I don't think you're going to get much better than this nowadays on WWE programming. This is the best it's going to get uh, pay-per-view-wise. I don't think it's going to get much better. Uh, so really shouldn't expect any more than what we got this past Sunday. Uh, but again, you know, it wasn't bad for what it was. But we'll get into the negatives right now. So you can take it away, Brian. The biggest negative, by far, was the women's match. By far. Or not even a debate. Which was the worst part of the Extreme Rules 2017? It was the women's match. Alexa Bliss and Bailey, Kendo stick on a pole match. All right? From the very beginning, you know, Ryan, that I was not a fan of the stipulation. It's just lazy uh, lazy writing, lazy booking. Uh, that's a Vince Russo-type move right there to have a match with a weapon attached to a pole. You got to grab the weapon and then use that weapon on your opponent. All right. Was not a fan of the stipulation, but I was like, you know what? Bliss, Bailey, maybe they can make it work. And then we came across the disaster of a segment that was This Is Your Life, Bailey, which completely, you can tell now, completely hurt this match Sunday. It was so bad that even Vince McMahon knew how bad it was that he took it off. Um, you know, the YouTube page, and he even and they even mentioned it on this past Raw, 
Kurt Angle saying that that was the worst segment he's ever seen. So they're even making fun of themselves for putting together that garbage. But even after that, I was like, all right, the segment was god-awful. Probably the worst segment of this year. One of the worst segments in the history of the WWE. But you know what? I think if they give these two girls enough time to go in the ring with their chemistry, maybe they could pull out a good match. We didn't get that, Ryan. The match went completely fast. And the booking of the match was horrendous, all right? Now, I do, I, I agree with the decision to keep the bell in bliss because, let's be honest, Bailey, Bailey's losing it, Brian. I hate saying that. I love Bailey. I'm a fan of her. But she's losing it. The fans are starting to disown her. She's not getting that same amount of buzz as she got early on when she just came into the main roster. And the way they have booked her as a character... It's killing her. All right. Now, yes, we get it. She is a fun-loving kid, basically. She loves giving hugs. She has that kid's mentality. But with them talking about, oh, you know, she's you know, daddy's little girl, this and that. She's just a kid, blah, blah, blah. It's really hurt her as a character. And it has really affected her work in the ring. It's affected her work on the microphone. And when you have a person like her with that character – Going up against somebody like Alexa Bliss, who is the ultimate badass when it comes to the female on the Raw roster and probably in WWE with the way she uh, she basically handles herself, the way she talks, the way she portrays herself as a character. It's tough to get over and get behind somebody like Bayley. And, and, and the match was just brutal. And the part that I just don't get the most is that all right, so Bailey gets the candlestick. Well, Alexa Bliss got it first. She was gonna hit Bailey. Bailey hits the Bailey the belly. She gets the candlestick. Bliss has nowhere to go. She's defenseless. And and if you're Bailey, with all the 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 stuff that Bliss has done to you, making fun of your childhood, doing this, doing that, you would think that Bailey would just you know would have enough of it and just beat the shit out of Alexa Bliss. Ryan, we didn't get that. She couldn't do it. That made no freaking sense whatsoever. And then we all know what happens. Bliss gets the candlestick, couple of shots, and then next thing you know, the match is over. Just like that. And I'm just sitting there like, what the hell is going on? What are they doing to Bailey? It was so bad, Ryan, that Dave Meltzer with his star system didn't even give Bailey and Bliss a star. They got a dud. They got no stars. And he said it. It would maybe be the worst match of 2017. And right now, I, I agree with him. That probably was the worst match of 2017. It was rough. And I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. It's her in the women's division. It really is because if you're not going to book Bailey Strong, then take her out of the picture and give somebody like a Sasha Banks a Mickey James, and even a Nia Jax the opportunity, and it looks like they're going to go in that route right now because Bliss and Bailey are done with. That feud's over with. There's no way you can continue this feud after the disaster that has been this past week. Give Bliss a new challenger, and again, we'll see what happens moving forward, but man, Ryan, I was very disappointed. Really was, because you would think after that disaster of a segment on Raw that WWE would be motivated to rebound from that and give these two girls a great match. We didn't get that. It just looked like the Vince just quit. 
Vince like, oh, this story's going nowhere. Just end this match quickly so we can move on. That's exactly what happened, Ryan. He didn't give no shit in the world about this match. He saw the disaster of that segment. He saw how bad the reviews were for that segment. And Vince just gave up. He said, all right, make this a quick match. Get it over with and let's move on. That's what he did. And again, you know, I, I see where Vince is coming from because it has not gone well. But at the same time, Vince, look at your audience. Look at the people that paid to be at that show. Look at the people that still had hope and believed that this these two girls were going to have a very good match. You just pissed them off. It was a bad match. And I felt so bad for both girls so that they had to be in that situation. They had to be in that position. Again, other than the booking, which, you know, except the booking, you know, Bliss keeping the belt made, made the most sense. The whole thing was a disaster. That entire week for Bailey and Bliss was an absolute disaster. Whether it was the This Is Your Life segment to the match itself, it was a major, major disaster. And like I said before, Ryan, if there was one bigger, if there was any major disappointment from Extreme Rules 2017, no doubt about it, the biggest disappointment on that show was Bliss and Bailey. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was definitely disappointing because of how short the match was. First off, uh, I definitely wanted to see more out of these two, like you said, after that horrendous segment on Raw last week. You wanted to see more out of this match, out of these two. You wanted them to kind of redeem themselves. And again, not their fault at all. It's the creative, it's the booking team giving them that, that crap. And you know what? They have to do it, so they do. Uh, but again, you would think they'll, you know, they would be given the right amount of time to get this thing done to put on a solid performance, again, stupid stipulation as it is. So you would think you can give them enough time to try and make the best out of a bad situation, but no, they didn't. They ended the match so damn quickly. They gave Elias Sampson a guitar and a spotlight in the middle of the ring to sing God knows what, because sitting there in the arena, you can't hear a damn thing because everybody's booing, and I was fourth row. You would think I'd be able to hear what he's saying. I couldn't hear a damn thing the guy was singing booing no just nobody cared so you wasted time on that when you could have gave those couple of minutes i think he was on there for like five minutes maybe maybe even less you could have gave those that time to bliss and bailey to try and make more out of the match but they didn't it was basically an alexa bliss domination and i didn't even i didn't even understand the match I, first of all they said that whoever gets a hold of the kendo stick gets to legally use it okay so my theory was whoever climbs up there and gets it is only allowed to use it, and the other person is not allowed to use it. That's what I got out of that. But apparently that wasn't the case. The, the kendo stick falls. It falls off the pole. And basically Bailey gets it. Alexa Bliss gets it. And they're both using it. So right then and there, I was very confused. Uh, again, and then when Bailey gets it, like you said, Brian, she hesitates. She don't hit Alexa Bliss. Like basically showing that, oh, she doesn't, she's not extreme enough. When she was the one that wanted this match. So that alone made no sense. And then when Bliss gets it, she just whacks the shit out of Bailey a, a bunch of times, hits a DDT, and the match is over. Now, I was happy that Bliss won the match. So, I mean, I no complaints there. Glad she's still the champion. But what happens to Bailey? Where does Bailey go? Like you said, she is basically dead in the water at this point. Who knows where she's going? And it's not shocking to see them screw up yet another successful NXT talent that we were all excited for on the main roster. 
And basically, they screwed it up. They already did. I mean, I don't even know how you even bring her back now. She just looked so weak. She looked like she had nothing in her. And now Alexa Bliss moves on to what looks like a feud with Nia Jax. So where does Bailey go? They already did a superstar shakeup, so there's no going over to SmackDown to re reinvent herself, basically. I don't know where she goes from here. I really don't, and I'm scared for her future. And it's a real real big shame because she had such a great career down in NXT, holding the NXT cha Women's Championship, putting on great match after great match, and she just looks like nothing but a failure on the main roster, and it's really, really sad to see. So, yeah, when you look back at this pay-per-view, that is definitely going to be one of the most disappointing things on the card, no doubt. Yeah, you, you, might, you might as well just add it to that list of failures from NXT to go to the main roster because there's been a lot of them, whether it's been the Ascension, whether it's been Tyler Breeze, even though Breeze is starting to get some momentum going on with uh, his partnership with uh, Fandango, but still not the best of stuff from Tyler Breeze. Uh, whether it's the Vaude Villains or the list goes on and on, Bailey has to be on that list, and you can even go as far to say that she has to be number one of biggest disappointments because, let's face it, you know, Bailey was absolutely beloved in NXT. I mean, beloved. Like, like nobody's ever been beloved before in NXT, you know, because, you know, the fans, they have their types of talent that they love. But man, whenever Bailey came out, the place popped. Whether you're a female or a guy, the place popped. Her merchandise was through the roof. People were wearing the the hugger shirt, and they were behind her so much in NXT. Where you would think, with the success that she had in NXT, that it was gonna translate to the main roster. And I thought that she was gonna be grand the main roster because she's got the charisma. She's she's over with the fans. She has that, you know. That thing to her, that connection with the fans, but I think one of the bigger problems that WWE did with her is that they rushed her. I really do think that. Yes, Bailey was ready for the main roster, but it doesn't mean that she was ready to hold a championship. What? What? She she won her first championship. What? Five months into her run with the main roster, that was a mistake. Don't rush it. You know, build her up. Build her up slowly, and that is a problem that I have. With Vince McMahon a lot, when it comes to talent, he just rushes things way too much. He doesn't know how to slowly build superstars like he used to back in the day. Vince doesn't have patience anymore these days. I don't get why because there's nobody competing with Vince McMahon. He can take all the time in the world when it comes to talent development, but that's not what we're seeing these days. I thought they rushed Bailey, but at the same time, Ryan, too, part of it is the creator's fault. But also part of it is the way Bailey's character is. You know, her microphone skills are not great. I mean, they were good in NXT. I'm not, I'm not so sure why it hasn't worked out on the main roster. But her character as well, I just... I thought it could get over with the fans, Ryan. It's not looking like it. Yes, there are still some people that are cheering for her. The little kids like her, especially the little girls. But the young adults, they're just not connecting with her. As much as they are connecting with Alexa Bliss, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch, and even Naomi, the pan the fans connect more with Naomi more. So, in terms of what Bailey's future looks like, I have no clue. I, I I agree with you, Ryan. I am scared to death for her because I know she can bring it. I know she's got the talent, but the booking has not been good on her. I'm not sure if you can even reinvent her because. She has made such a big name for herself as the hugger, 
how could you change your character? I mean, number one, I, I can't even see her as a heel. Now, yeah, like, you know, in these types of situations, the best way to save a career is to turn a person heel. Look no further than Neville. You know, when Neville started on the main roster, he was a babyface. The man that gravity forgot. It wasn't working out. He got hurt. Next thing you know, he comes back as a heel. Best thing that's ever happened for him. Neville is one of the best performers on WWE today. You can't say the same for Bailey because how could you really look at her as a heel? You know, she's got that that nice, beautiful face, that that childlike look. She doesn't look like a bad person to me. Like Neville's killing it as a heel because he has that look of of a heel as well. Bailey doesn't have that. She just looks like a pure baby face that you can never turn her heel. She doesn't have that same persona like a Sasha Banks where she can work as both a heel and a face. Same goes for Charlotte. Same goes for Alexa Bliss. You can't do that with Bailey. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do with Bailey. She wasn't on Raw this past Monday. Who knows when she's going to come back. And when she does come back, who is she going to face? Is she going to feud with Sasha Banks? Yes, that's what, that's something we want to see. But uh, Banks, Bailey feud with no championship? That doesn't make sense because that's what people want to see. They want to see Bailey versus Banks for the championship. That's not going to happen. Is she going to feud with Mickey James or Nia? J- I don't know what the hell they're going to do for her. Is she going to feud with Emma? I I really don't know, and, and I'm concerned, Ryan. I'm really concerned with the way you know with with Bailey's future. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So we'll see. I mean, I'm happy again that Bliss won the matchup, but for the rest of it, the um, the the match itself, the duration of the match. Which is a disaster. And now Bliss is moving on. Good for her. She deserves to be champion. But at the same time, when we're sitting here being happy for Bliss, we're still scared and disappointed with where Bailey's going to go. And I'm not sure where she's going to go. So we'll see what happens with her moving forward. As for the rest of the show, quick uh, take on this one. Hardy Boys versus uh, Cesaro and Sheamus. The cage match was very good. But the booking, I just hate. The Hardy Boys should still be tag team champions. I'm sorry. I've said this countless times on this show, and I'm going to keep saying it. No matter how good Cesaro and Sheamus have been together, these two guys should not be together. I'm sorry. I've seen Cesaro win tag team titles enough where I've come to the point where I don't want to see him win any more tag team gold. I want to see him win singles gold. Cesaro has won enough tag team titles. He's been a tag team champion with three different partners, Ryan. He's won tag team gold with Jack Swagger. He's won tag team gold with Tyson Kidd. And now he's a tag team champion with Sheamus. That's great and all. He's a champion, but he's not a singles champion. And that's what Cesaro should be. He's too damn good to be stuck in a tag team. And for the Hardy Boys' sake, why in the hell are you, are you taking off the belt of these guys two months into their run with WWE? Stupid! And I've heard different rumors why they lost the belts. Oh, well, they may they maybe want to split up the Hardy Boys. Why? Why in God's name are you going to split up the Hardy Boys? Makes no sense. Stupid. And I, and I, I, and I was convinced, Ryan, that they were going to win this match. And then move on to a few with guys like Gallus and Anderson and the Revival. That's not going to happen yet. It still could happen in the future, but not right now. Cesaro, Sheamus, and the Hardy Boys are going to continue their feud. This feud should be over with. We've seen enough of them. Move on to a different feud. Was not happy about that decision, Ryan. The match was good. I'm not going to take anything away from the match. But it was just so stupid, Ryan. 
to take the belts of the Hardy Boy off the Hardy Boys. And again, Ryan, it goes back to the hot potato. I don't know what the hell Vince is thinking these days, but he just loves title changes to happen every two months. How many times are we going to see a title change? Enough of it. Can we see title reigns? I just hated the fact that that happened, Ryan. Made no sense to me. And again, Cesaro and Sheamus, they've been good together. But I'm a person that wants to see Cesaro succeed as a singles guy. I'm always going to stick with that. No matter how great Cesaro and Sheamus are, I know Cesaro can do better. He's better than being stuck in a tag team. He should be feuding for the Intercontinental Championship. He should be feuding for the Universal Championship. Let's say you put him on SmackDown. Put him in the United States title scene. Put him in the World Championship scene. Why is he stuck in a tag team? I still don't get it. And the Hardy Boys dropping the belts after two months? Makes no sense. Really, really stupid stuff. Don't agree with it. Um, Rich Swan, Sasha Banks winning. No surprise there. No comment on it. Doesn't make a difference. Uh, Cruz versus Kalisto. Stupid. Again, Kalisto. Go to the Cruiserweight division. You're going to do nothing on the main roster. Apollo Cruz, he's not going to do anything on the main roster. So overall, in my personal opinion, other than the main event, other than the Cruiserweight matchup, and other than some of the positive booking decisions when it came, when it came to Bliss retaining her championship and The Miz winning the championship back from Dean Ambrose, I was not a fan of the show, Ryan. But like you said, Ryan, that's the best you're going to get from WWE these days. Their pay-per-views have not gone well. And most of it has because of the booking. The booking has got to be so much better. It's amazing how WWE has this creative team when in the very end, they're not creative. A candlestick on a pole match. That's not creative. Oh, a stipulation where if Dean Ambrose gets disqualified, he loses the belt. It's called Extreme Rules. That's your creative way of that stipulation for that match? It's stupid. So overall, Ryan was not a fan of the show. But like you said, that's the best you're going to get from WWE, which is a damn shame because we all know with the talent that they got, they can do so much better. But who the hell knows if they're ever going to improve themselves? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like you said, going back to the Hardy Steel Cage match with Sheamus and Cesaro, it was a good match. It really was. It was a lot of fun, uh, you know, right from the get-go. I mean... I love the stipulation, you know, the no pinning stipulation in the steel cage match. I like how you have to just escape from the cage, and that's how it should be. That's how a steel cage should always work. So I'm not sure why sometimes you're allowed to pin in the steel cage, but in this particular steel cage match, you can't pin. You only had to go, you know, escape the cage. And I love that. I thought that made the match even more fun. You know, constantly seeing them trying to climb out of the cage and constantly bringing them back in. Uh, Jeff Hardy escapes, so then Matt was stuck alone in there with uh, Sheamus and Cesaro, who were just dominating him. Then Jeff Hardy you know, comes back in and does the uh, whisper in the wind off of the top of the steel cage. He knew he was going to do something crazy like that. Um, it, I was thinking of Swanton, but realistically thinking he'd probably break his neck if he did a Swanton off the top of the steel cage. So whisper in the wind was a very cool spot. But my take on it was I don't understand it because – Okay, both guys have to escape the cage. So Jeff Hardy already did that uh, in the middle of the match. So when he came back in, when he when he did the whisper in the wind and came back in, why did he have to escape again? Like, Matt got out, 
and was dragging Jeff out the door. And then Sheamus and Cesaro hit the hit the floor first by, you know, climbing over the top. But why did Jeff have to come back out when he already was out? So technically, I thought the Hardy should have won the match. I was very confused at that. But again, you know what? Not a lot of things make sense in the WWE nowadays. Uh, very shocking to see Sheamus and Cesaro win the titles. Again, like you said, Brian, why take the belt off the Hardys uh, this quickly? I mean, they were on a roll. People wanted to see the Hardy Boys as tag team champions, and they were doing great things. They had a great feud with Sheamus and Cesaro, but it should have been ending with them still remaining as champs. And they should have moved on, like you said, to Gallus and Anderson, to a team like The Revival. Because right now, with Sheamus and Cesaro being heels, who are they going to feud with for those tag team belts? Most of the tag teams on the Raw roster are heels. So it would have made sense for the Hardys to retain rather than losing the belts. So I don't understand that. I really didn't. As far as them breaking up again, I mean, why? Like you said, basically, Brian, why? Uh, again, if they're going to break up, I don't want to see one turn on the other. I don't want to see Matt Hardy turn heel on Jeff. I don't want to see Jeff turn heel on Matt. I don't want to see these guys feuding against each other anymore. How many times have we seen Matt and Jeff Hardy feuding against each other? I mean, we've seen it in WWE. We've seen it most recently in TNA. Why do we have to see it again? If you're going to split them up, have them mutually go their own ways. Have Jeff go to the main event scene if that's where they're going with that. Have Matt do whatever the heck they want him to do. Do not make one turn heel on the other because I do not want to see that happen again. This is probably their last run in wrestling. I would assume Matt and Jeff are done after this run in WWE because what else are they possibly going to do? Make this run, have them go their own separate ways without feuding with each other because I have seen enough of it. So I don't know where they go from here. We didn't see them on Raw. I know um, Rebby, Matt's wife, is having a baby this week, so that could be a possible reason as to why they were not shown on TV this week. But when they come back, I would assume they get their rematch against Sheamus and Cesaro, but I don't see them winning that match because why? that would make no sense. Why would they lose the belts in the first place? So I don't know what happens from here on out with the Hardy Boys, but like I said, they better not turn heel on the other because I just don't want to see them feuding again moving forward. But uh, like you said, Brian, as far as the pay-per-view goes... It is what it is. It wasn't extreme by any means. Again, extreme rules nowadays, you already know what you're getting. You're not going to get what you got back in the day. It's not going to be you know, hardcore. It's just not. This is what WWE is nowadays. It's the best the pay-per-views are going to get. And uh, you just got to deal with it or don't watch. So that's basically the reality of WWE. I completely agree with the whole Hardy Boy splitting up thing. If you're going to split them up, don't feud. Don't have them feud with each other. Because that's, that's basically the common thing that Vince McMahon would do. Oh, we're going to split them up. Let's let them face each other for the 10,000th time. We don't need to see it anymore. Like you said, Ryan, we've seen it in WWE on multiple occasions. Not once. A couple of times they feuded with each other. And we've seen it in TNA. We do not need to see it again. If you're going to split them up, let them go their separate ways. You know, you know I'm trying to figure out the word. But like uh, on, a, on a positive note, like let them just say, you know what? Mutually, uh, there's the word, mutually. Let's mutually separate our ways. I'll focus on this and you focus on that. Like, you know, you have Matt Hardy go after the Intercontinental Championship and let Jeff go for the World Championship. Or vice versa. Let Jeff go for the Intercontinental Championship. Let Matt Hardy go for the World Championship. Both guys are capable of doing more. Like, I still want him to be part of a tag team, but but I know 
that if they split them up, they're going to feud with each other because that's what Vince is going to do. He's done it so many times, it would not shock me if they do it again. And like you said, Ryan, it's pointless. We've seen it too many times. If you're going to split them up, let them do it mutually so they can still be, you know, the good brothers that they are, have each other's back, but they do their separate things. But anyways, Ryan, I don't want to see them split up. I mean, you're already splitting up Enzo and Cass. I still believe that, by the way. Even though we saw what happened this past Monday, I still have that feeling it's Big Cass and Enzo are splitting up. You're going to split up the Hardy Boys now? What is there left in the tagging division? What, are you going to have Cesaro and Sheamus, Gallus and Anderson, who are already buried, by the way, and the Revival? That's it? Stupid. You need tag teams. You cannot afford to split tag teams up. Now, yes, I'm the person that's saying Cesaro and Sheamus should be split up, but two tag teams split up makes no sense. So... Overall, Extreme Rules wasn't the biggest fan of it. So let's jump right into Raw. Um, and we'll start off, of course, with the big segment that happened between Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman. Absolutely loved it, Ryan. Loved it. Samoa Joe comes out, has his say, what he's going to do to Brock Lesnar. Here comes Paul Heyman on behalf of Brock Lesnar saying his little thing. Next thing you know, Samoa Joe is talking to Paul Heyman in the corner. And then freaking Coquina clutches him, chokes him out to death. Love that. That is a great way to kick off this feud. Let there be some drama. Let Samoa Joe attack Paul Heyman. And he did that. Which has led Paul Heyman to call the Beast and say, I need you here next week. And I cannot wait for next week, Ryan. Brock-Joe confrontation on Raw next week. I'm hoping for that. Should be interesting. Love the segment. Love the way they did that. Without question, the best segment on the show. There was some other good stuff, you know, as well. I had some great matches along the way. Samoa Joe was in the main event against Seth Rollins. Some good stuff there. Um, but uh, a lot of a lot of negatives again, though. You know, Gallus and Anderson. For the love of God, I, I, I'm I, I hate saying this, Ryan, but Gallus and Anderson, they gotta leave. They gotta get the hell out of there. I said it on the Instagram page. If you follow us at Royal Rumble Wrestling. Um, I said, get the hell out of there, go back to Japan, and be the good brothers. Be back with Bullet Club, because I am sick and tired, Ryan, of this jobbing bullshit that Gals and Anderson are doing right now. To see these two guys be put in a position on Monday to wrestle Enzo freaking Amore and the Big Show, and to lose to those two guys the way they did was embarrassing, Ryan. Embarrassing. This is what you do to two guys that you brought over from Japan. Two guys that were a part of the biggest faction in wrestling today. Two guys that were three-time IWGP heavyweight champ, tag team champions. This is what you do to them? You have them job to Enzo Amore who cannot wrestle into a, what, a 45-year-old big show? Because Big Cass got hurt? Oh my god, Ryan. That made me vomit. That made me sick to my stomach. To see Gals and Anderson, two guys that deserve so much better, be put in that position. I'm done with it, Ryan. Gallows, Anderson, for the love of God, go back to Japan. That's where you belong. You guys deserve so much better in WWE, but you're not going to get it. The only way you're going to get it is if you reunite 
with Finn Balor or AJ Styles, and right now, WWE is in no position of doing that. No position to doing that. So what in God's name are you guys going to do? Other than reunite with Finn Balor, you're going to do nothing. Nothing. So for the sake for me, for Ryan, for the fans that love you, go back to Japan so I can stop watching this crap happen to you. It's so bad, Ryan, when I posted that photo on Instagram, freaking Gallows' wife, Amber Gallows, or Amber O'Neil, the bullet babe liked it. I think she even knows that this is bullshit. Oh, that, that really made me sick, Ryan, when I saw that. Part of me wanted to cry. I'm just sitting there like, this is what Gallows and Anderson are doing right now? Two guys that had so much success together in Japan... Two guys that were big free agent signings. This is what WWE has for them? It's sad. It's a joke. It really is, Ryan. I, I mean, we've said it numerous times on the show about how bad WWE has booked Gallows and Anderson. Well, this was the cherry on top. To see those two guys get jobbed by a non-wrestler in Enzo Amore... And a 45 to 50 year old 400 pound big show on Raw is an absolute travesty. The only way these two guys are ever going to succeed right now in WWE is if you put if you put them with Finn. But is that going to happen? I don't think so. There is no such thing right now, no such teaser that that's going to happen. They had that opportunity, you know, when they were with AJ Styles, they were doing tremendous stuff. The moment they split up those two with AJ Styles, the moment they split away, that was the doom of Gallows and Anderson. Even though, yes, they won the tag team belts during that time without AJ Styles, it was still a horrendous decision to split Gallows and Anderson away from AJ Styles. One of the worst decisions WWE has made in a very long time. And probably the worst decision they made during that during that um, the roster, the, the, the draft. The brand split. Other than, of course, putting Owens and Zayn on the same show. But that was the worst decision. Was splitting up Gals and Anderson away from AJ Styles made no freaking sense. And now look where we are. We're at a point now where Gals and Anderson, what are they going to do? They're doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're jobbing to Big Show and Enzo freaking Amore. They're not even a tag team. Those two were put together for one night and they beat a legitimate tag team. I can't even call them a legitimate tag team anymore. So, that, to me, when I look back at this Raw, if I ever do, that was the moment, Ryan, where I was just so fed up. I was sick to my stomach. And I'm just I'm just done with it, with, it, with Gallus and Anderson. And this is not their fault. I'm not sitting here and calling Gallus and Anderson bad talents. No, they're great talents. Just watch them in Japan. They were tremendous in Japan. And that's what I thought we were getting when they were signing to WWE. I thought they were getting, we were going to get that Gals and that Anderson. It hasn't even come close to that. Not even a sniff of that. It's been that brutal. So, I mean, there were some positives on Raw again. You know, a couple of great matches here and there. Some newer storylines are starting to be brought up now. Uh, of course, Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar. Uh, Alexa Bliss is now possibly moving on to a feud with Nia Jax, but also Mickey James and Sasha Banks could be in the picture. Uh, Dean Ambrose and The Miz are continuing their rivalry. 
Uh, Neville moving on to a different challenger for the Cruiserweight Championship. But man, when that segment happened, Ryan, I was just fed up. Completely, utterly fed up. It's enough already with Gallows and Anderson. It's either you book these guys to the best of their ability, to the best they can be booked, or just dump them. Send them to some place that they will succeed. Send them to SmackDown Live. They'll be better off there. They'll get an opportunity. Send them back to NXT. I don't freaking care. Hell, NXT needs tag teams. Gallows and Anderson could do it so much better in NXT than what they're doing on right now on the main roster. It's annoying, Ryan, and I'm just getting fed up with it. For the love of God, Gallows and Anderson, for the sake of your fans, get the hell out of there. You're not going to succeed in WWE. You're really not. So we'll see what happens with those guys. But overall for Raw, not the greatest of Raw, but some positives. But overall for me, the most frustrating part without question was with what happened to Gallows and Anderson. Yeah, I mean, this isn't shocking one bit. I mean, I could have seen this coming from a mile away. This, this is what they do. This is what happens, you know? Uh, they, they just don't book people the right way, and it ruins them. I mean, look, we're just talking about Bailey. God, if you would have told me this stuff about Bailey two years ago, I would have said, yeah, no way they're going to screw her up because she was that damn good in NXT. So I'm not shocked about this at all. I, I really am not. I mean, you know, them going there was a huge risk. I, I get it, you know, they wanted to go there. Obviously, if you get the call, if you get the contract, you know, you're going to go. People are going to go to the WWE. I mean, that's where the money is. That's where, you know, the big stage is. Of course you're going to go there. And for a guy like Carl Anderson, who's been in Japan for all his career, basically, he wanted to change the scenery. I, I get that. I understand that. But, again, like you said, Brian, they're just being booked so terribly that I just don't know where they go from here. They already were tag team champions, so you know they're not going to win those belts back anytime soon. Just have nothing going for them. They're losing matches left and right. Again, they're basically there for the paycheck, I feel like. Because, again, if they really wanted to, you know, be booked better, if they really cared, you know, about their careers and about what they're doing inside the ring, oh, man, they would have probably asked for their release months ago. I mean, I sure as hell would have. So, again, who knows when their contract's up? Who knows what's going to happen to them? I mean, it's like you said, it has just been brutal. And I just sit there and I watch it, and I'm just not shocked. I, I really am not surprised because that's what happens nowadays. And I get not everybody can be at the top all the time. You know, there's got to be a time where, you know, people fade away and, and don't really do much and, and lose matches here and there. But Gallus and Anderson, man, I mean, they've been doing this for the past year. I mean, a couple of months, they were tag team champs, lost it right away once the Hardys walked right through the door. So, it, to me, it just, their run in WWE has been nothing but a complete failure. It really has. And, like I said, who knows where they're going to go from here. I really have no idea. Uh, as far as the rest of Raw, like you said, a couple of good matches. Of course, Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt for the 20,000th time. We saw that with Roman getting the win. Uh, Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins again in the main event, which was pretty good. Uh, Samoa Joe getting the win because of Bray Wyatt distraction. Uh, looks like Rollins and Bray Wyatt are starting a little something there. Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss uh, are starting a feud. I'm curious to see how that plays out. The biz segment I thought was pretty good uh, with the with the bear, him, him attacking the bear and then uh, attacking the gift from Maurice. And then Dean Ambrose coming in as, as the camera guy. I thought that was pretty cool. I did not even notice that, that was him. I really didn't. Right as the guy was standing in the ring, it did not look like him at all. I wonder where he was standing throughout that whole entire segment because you would think, you know, the fans in the arena would catch on that that was him. Uh, you didn't hear anything, like any, like, you know, cheering or anything. So I don't think anybody knew he was standing there the whole entire time wherever he was standing outside the ring. So kudos to WWE on that. That was a very 
good segment. Uh, it really caught me off guard there. Uh, as far as the rest, I mean, I don't know what else to really say about the rest of the show. Really nothing too intriguing. Uh, again, just another another draw in the books, basically. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but not really much else to make of it. Now, Big Cass and Enzo Mori. Uh, last week's show, we touched, that, uh, touched on that topic a lot about the possibility of these two guys splitting up. There's this whole story going on that Enzo keeps getting attacked backstage. Then there was the whole situation with the phone and Corey Graves saying that whoever attacks Enzo Mori, I will gladly shake that person's hand. Cass comes out, threatens Corey Graves, shakes his hand. And we're sitting here on itsyourradio.com saying that it's Big Cass, it's Big Cass, it's Big Cass that's attacking Enzo Mori. Well, this past Monday, it was Cass that got attacked backstage. And for the, th- for the third consecutive week, the Revival was shown backstage. And people keep saying, oh, it's got to be the Revival now. If it's not Big Cass, it's the Revival. Ryan, I may be freaking crazy, but I don't give a crap. I still think it's Big Cass. They're ch- I-, I just think WWE is trying to swerve the fans. I really do. The Revival, yeah, this is a good way to get them back on television. But it's too obvious. It's way too obvious for it to be the revival where I think in this type of storyline, which is causing some intrigue, I guess, I think they're swerving with the fans. I think this is a whole plot twist, Ryan. I may be nuts. You can call me crazy. But part of me still thinks this is big cast. Because we've heard the rumors. We've heard the speculation that they're going to split up. And this could be a way that they can split them up. I mean, when I saw cast got attacked, I was confused. I really was. I was like, hmm. Maybe it's not Big Cass, but I'm still sticking with my guns, sticking to my guns, excuse me, and I still think it's Big Cass for some stupid reason. I still think it's him. Um, we, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to find out who it is some point down the road. Hopefully, in the next coming weeks, who it is. It's either the Revival or it's Big Cass. That's just me. It's nobody else. If it's the Revival, all right, makes sense. The Revival need to be back on television. They need a good fresh view to start before they get their opportunity at the tag team titles, which they're going to win. We all know that. Or it's Big Cass. They can go in a route with Big Cass, turn heel, and him and Enzo split away. I'm actually hoping it's the Revival that are attacking Enzo and Cass because right now I don't want to see Enzo and Cass split up. I mean, it's going to happen eventually, but right now WWE is not in a great position to split both guys up. And I think this is, could be a good first few for the Revival to get back on track after the Dash Wilder injury. But this is confusing, Ryan. It really is. Part of me believes it's still it's still Big Cass doing this. But after seeing what happened on Raw, how could it be Big Cass? Why would he attack himself? So many questions to answer, Ryan. I think overall it's a stupid thing going on. I'm not the biggest of fans with this whole storyline with Enzo getting attacked. And who knows who it is? And now Big Cass is getting attacked. It's kind of weird, confusing to me, but it's 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 we're talking about it, so they're doing something right. It's been a big topic of discussion, and who the hell know who it is? I don't know who it is now. Uh, part of me thinks it's Cass, the other part is Revival. So overall, I mean, that's one of the biggest things going on with Raw. Uh, we had a whole conversation last week about it's Big Cass attacking Enzo Amore, but right now, who knows if that is the truth? It may be the Revival. But, again, part of me still believes it's Big Cass. It's confusing, Ryan. And I just don't know where this is going to lead up to. Who knows when this whole reveal is going to happen. And who knows what's going to happen in the very end. 
if it's Big Cass, then yes, the split up is going to happen. If it's the Revival, then we're going to get a Revival Enzo and Cass feud. Anyways, it's confusing to me. I don't really have too much investment in this, but again, we're talking about it. So WWE is doing the right thing, having the fans talk about it. But it is confusing, Ryan. And right now, Ryan, we're at this point. Do you still think it's Cass that is doing the job? Or are you fully convinced, Ryan, that it's the Revival that are attacking both Enzo and Cass? Yeah, I'm still on your theory, Brian. I still think it is Cass because, you know, if it was the Revival, I mean, that's way too obvious. They keep showing them backstage. And to me, it's just, it's it's so obvious. Like you, like you said, I think they're swerving us. Um, I don't think Big Cass attacked himself. Uh, I do think maybe he told somebody to attack him or, or something along the lines of that. Um, but my whole thing on this whole entire story thing, and, and it is good, it is intriguing, because I am interested week after week to see what happens, you know, with Kurt Angle coming out to talk to Corey Graves, and then Kurt Angle leaving the building, and then we see Cass got, you know, attacked, and, and Enzo comes in. And, and even before that, too, in the promo between uh, with Enzo and Cass when they were talking to Charlie Caruso, uh, you know, Cass even said, he even touched on, you know, the fact that people on, on Twitter and on social media are saying that it's him attacking Enzo. And the fact that he, he mentioned, you know, it's not me, I would not do it. That right there, I think, was the biggest hint. And I think it went over a lot of people's heads. But I think that alone right there, that they're bringing this up, I think for sure that it, it's him. I, I mean, I really do. I really think, like you said, they're swerving us. Uh, again, it has to be him because... You know, he looked, look how pissed he looked too when Big Show comes back with Enzo. Uh, it just looks like he is so fed up with Enzo Amore. And I don't really know why, to be honest. It, it's just, it was so random and out of nowhere. Uh, it, you know, if it is indeed him turning on Enzo, I'd love to hear why he is, you know, attacking him. But my whole thing on this whole thing is how in the world doesn't Enzo Amore see who attacked him? How does Big Cass don't see how he how like who attacked him? You know, I mean, Big Cat is seven foot tall. How does he not see somebody jumping him? Like, I mean, is he so out of it that he just gets jumped from behind and then the guy just like vanishes out of midair and, and he just just doesn't see the guy? To me, it, it just makes no sense. So I think it has to be him. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. I don't know when this reveal is going to happen. Like you said, I don't even know what this is leading up to. But it is one of the most intriguing things week after week on Raw. And I'm interested to see what happens next week. I mean, who gets attacked next week? Do they go back to Enzo getting attacked? And then do we see Cass getting attacked again? I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens with this story. But it is intriguing for, for uh, you know, one of the storylines happening on Raw. You know, the rest of the show is garbage. But this is, uh, you know, one thing to see week after week that keeps me on the edge of my seat. So we'll see what they do as for an encore next week. Uh, in terms of SmackDown, uh, again, I caught some of it. Uh, I did watch the main event match between Nakamura and Kevin Owens. Great match. No shocker there. A lot of people are disappointed and pissed off that they wasted this match on a SmackDown Live. And part of me agrees with them. But at the same time, it's WWE. You're going to have to have some big matches on weekly television for Raw or SmackDown. So this is not a surprise to me that they went this route. But for what it was, great match. Nakamura looked great. So did Kevin Owens. Nakamura pick up the win cleanly was a little bit of a surprise, but yes, they're going to continue to build up Nakamura, which is good to see. Uh, I also like what happened at the end with uh, Baron Corbin coming into the ring and giving uh, Nakamura the end of days, which Nakamura sold greatly. Really good job by Nakamura. 
so again, some more anticipation for the Money in the Bank ladder match. AJ Styles versus Dolph Ziggler 2 was really good. AJ getting the win this time. So I do expect to see a rubber match next week. Would not surprise me if they go that route. But uh, I'm really interested, Ryan, in this Money in the Bank ladder match. Both, to be exact, you know, because the women as well. Again, their Money in the Bank ladder match, and they revealed the briefcase for that matchup. It's white, nice-looking briefcase. Um, but both matches, Ryan, I am excited for, especially the men. You know, I think they picked the six perfect guys to be in that matchup. Even though still part of me believes that, because we talk about this um, off-air, about the possibility of Rusev getting involved in the match. Uh, there could definitely be some booking where... One of the wrestlers gets taken out, and Rusev puts himself in the match. I believe if they're going to go that route, it's going to be Sami Zayn. He's the most obvious person to take out of the match because he's a guy that gets beat up all the time. So maybe they go that route, but I'm hoping that Sami Zayn stays in the match because Sami Zayn, we all know his abilities. His experiences in ladder matches are great. Keep him in the match. He deserves the opportunity. But uh, I'm looking forward to that matchup. Same goes for the women. Um, in terms of Lana versus Naomi... For the Women's Championship at Money in the Bank. I'm not all that excited about it, Ryan. Uh, is it way too early to give this opportunity to Lana? Absolutely. Because she has yet to prove herself in the ring. But the only reason why I believe they did this, Ryan, is to keep Naomi relevant. I don't think they want to keep her off Money in the Bank. They want her to have to face somebody. And there's nobody else to face other than Lana. So I guess that's the route they're going with here. I don't think they're giving this match to Lana because she deserves it. She doesn't deserve it because what has she done as a in-ring performer to earn the opportunity to fight for the Women's Championship? And they're rolling with this storyline now where Lana wanted to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Naomi th thought that was a bad idea. Next thing you know, Lana distracts Naomi from her match. She loses. And now we have this match of Money in the Bank. So, uh... For the match itself, I don't expect it to be great because I don't know what to expect from Lana. Again, it comes down to what Lana can do. You know, Does she have potential? I'll believe it when I see her in the ring. We have not seen her enough. She's had some experience working in NXT, but not a lot of experience. So we'll see what happens with her. But um, does she deserve this opportunity now? No, but I do. But I see why they're going this route with, with Naomi and Lana because... It keeps Naomi relevant because I don't think they want to keep Naomi off the show. They wanted to wrestle. They wanted to put the belt on the line. And Lana's the only available women, woman to wrestle for that championship. So that's what they're doing it for. I don't think they're doing it because Lana deserves it. Um, the Fashion Files with the New Day. Tremendous stuff. All right. Uh, the Fashion Files are starting to become one of my personal favorite segments on WWE Television Weekly. It, it, they're fun stuff. The, the interaction with the New Day this time was really, really good. The back and forth conversations, a New Day coming in saying that we want uh, full detail. We want you guys to speculate and uh, the, to uh, give, give us an idea of what to expect from the Usos, investigate them. Funny, funny stuff. Uh, and again, it just shows you the fashion files have worked. You know, the fans like this stuff. They, they're getting good views from it, good reaction from the fans. Which tells you that the Fashion Files should be put on television more and that the Fashion Police deserve a big push. I really believe that. Even though they failed twice to beat the Usos, you got to keep these two guys relevant some capacity. And the Fashion Files will absolutely do that. And hopefully down the road, Breeze and Fandango get another opportunity. And hopefully this time around, they get to win the championships. Because those two guys are entertaining as hell. 
and they're over. They really are over with the fans. You would not think that. With guys like Breeze and Fandango, their characters are kind of weird. They're odd, but they're funny. They're entertaining, and they have great chemistry together. They're doing tremendous stuff with the Fashion Files, and I love watching it every single week. So that's a great positive. And that was pretty much it with SmackDown. You know, a couple of great matches, more build-up to Money in the Bank. Some funny stuff happened on the show. Overall, SmackDown, not bad this week. Very good show as they continue to build upon Money in the Bank. And I'm looking forward to that show. Some great matches. The two Money in the Bank ladder matches. Mahal versus Orin 2. Uh, Naomi Lana. Uso's New Day. They'll probably throw in a Ty Dillinger match. Uh, he'll face probably some job or maybe Aiden English again. Who the hell knows? But uh, maybe Mojo Raleigh. But uh, overall for SmackDown... For the most part, very good show, and I cannot wait to see what happens next week as they get set for the go-home show leading up to Money in the Bank. Yeah, very fun show, I think, from the beginning to the end. A couple of good matches. Of course, we got Styles Ziggler yet again. Uh, Styles picking up the win this time around. Uh, you had Jinder Mahal going up against Mojo Rawley, who was trying to vie for a spot in the Money in the Bank ladder match. <laughs> Thank God he didn't get that. Uh, let's just throw that out there right now because what a joke. That would have been if he was in there because it's already a stacked match as it is. Uh, don't ruin it by throwing him in the mix. Uh, I, I figured he wasn't going to win as soon as Shane said he was going up against uh, Jinder Mahal. Good showing from Mahal. Uh, again, the guy looked like a superstar throughout his whole entire entrance. Uh, you know, again, I'm really getting convinced that we're going to see him be WWE champion heading into SummerSlam. I really am starting to think that that's where they're going. I think he's going to beat Randy Orton at Money in the Bank with the way. He's been booked lately, so uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, like you said, the Fashion Files, that stuff was great. The New Day in action for the first time in a long time was great to see. And then the Usos coming out, basically burning them, basically owning the hell out of the New Day uh, with that promo. That was very good stuff right there. Very excited for that match uh, to happen at Money in the Bank. As far as the women's stuff goes, I'm glad that the Money in the Bank briefcase is not pink. It's white. It looks very, very, uh, very sharp. I really like the look of it, uh, but I hated, hated the whole Lana stuff. What a waste of time having her come out in the beginning, and then uh, she interferes in the match by having Naomi, you know, costing Naomi the match, which sets up their title match. Uh, now, yeah, obviously it's way too early, but it makes sense because Naomi stormed into Shane's office and wanted this match, so it makes sense because she was pissed. Uh, and like you said, Brian, they probably just wanted to have her on the card to wrestle. And who knows? You know, maybe they wanted to have her on the card because they plan on having whoever wins the women's Money in the Bank ladder match to cash in that night. So in order for that to happen, you need to have a match involving the champions. So that's exactly what we're getting. Lana is basically Eva Marie. I mean, really, there's nothing more to say. I don't think she's going to be good in the ring. Nothing so far has told me that she's going to be good in there. I don't even, I mean, some people say she has potential, but how do you know that? Where did you see that, you know? Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to find out at Money in the Bank to see how she fares with Naomi, but I don't expect anything out of Lana. I think it's going to be a huge joke. And again, it's going to be like Eva Marie 2.0. That's basically what it is. Uh, so, unfortunately, we're getting that, but women's Money in the Bank ladder match again. The build to that continues to be good, as well as the men's. Uh, the main event was good, too, between Kevin Owens and Shinsuke Nakamura, and I like Baron Corbin. Uh, getting the edge on, uh, you know, upper hand on Nakamura after the match was over. Hitting him with the end of days, I thought that was pretty good to have him standing tall as SmackDown ends. He's definitely got to be the favorite to win this match. Looking at every superstar in this, in this uh, you know, ladder match, I just can't see anybody but Baron Corbin winning. I, I just don't think it makes sense for anybody else 
The only other guy I could see winning is AJ Styles if they want to make, you know, the money in the bank basically his golden ticket to getting back into the main event spotlight. It would make sense, but I can't see anybody besides those two being possibilities to win this match. So one more SmackDown to go next week before Money in the Bank. So I'm already hyped for the pay-per-view, but we'll see what they could do next week to get me even more excited. But like you said, Brian, overall, I did enjoy the show this past week. It could also be Rusev, Ryan. Again, if he attacks like a Sami Zayn and puts himself in that match, then you have to give the win to Rusev because what's the point then of being put in the match and lose? I mean, I, I think also there's a there's a possibility that uh, Rusev gets involved. He attacks a guy like Sami Zayn or Dolph Ziggler. He puts himself in the match and he wins. Would not surprise me. But uh, regarding Jinder Mahal, I completely agree with you. I think he's going to hold on to that belt until SummerSlam. And I hate saying this, but I I think he's dropping the belt to John Cena. You know, John Cena is coming back July 4th. That is official. They made that official on SmackDown uh, Tuesday night. He is coming back, and he's one championship win away from breaking Ric Flair's record. And what time to do it but now and face Jinder Mahal. Now, part of me will be happy that Cena can take the belt for Jinder Mahal, but the other part of me will be pissed off because I don't want to see Cena break Ric Flair's record. But at this point in time, it's obvious Cena is going to break the record. So if you're going to have it face Jinder Mahal, I, okay, I guess. But uh, I do believe Mahal will, will keep the belt until SummerSlam. Um, in terms of Lana, I completely agree with you as well. I, I think she's just getting this push because she's hot. You know, she's not getting this push because she's great in the ring. She's hot. You know, she's getting what Eve Marie was supposed to get. You know, this was supposed to be for Eve Marie. She was going to be the beautiful girl that's going to get her way. That did not work out, of course, as even we had a lot of obstacles as she went through uh, in, in terms of drugs and then not showing up sometimes to work. And now she's no longer with the company, thank God. Uh, now that position's gone to Lana, and we'll see how she does. Because, again, like you said, Ryan, you cannot sit here and tell me that she has potential in the ring when you can't back that statement. Now, yes, yeah, she's had some matches, but she's done very little in those matches. The only match I can remember, Ryan, is that that with that fatal that 10 person women's tag team match at wrestlemania she was one, uh, she was on one of the teams she did very little in that match so i really can't sit here and say that she's got potential when she has really showed nothing we're gonna see what she's made of at money in the bank it's not gonna be easy naomi's gonna do her best to really keep her in the match it could be brutal but hey maybe lana surprises us maybe she maybe she is good but again you can't answer that until we finally see it happen, and we're going to see it happen at Money in the Bank. So we'll see what happens next week, as, of course, next Thursday, guys, we will give our predictions for Money in the Bank. Uh, as for NXT, last night, some again, another good show. Roger Strong versus Bobby Roode is possibly now in the works. They had a nice confrontation. Uh, Roger Strong deserves this opportunity. He really does. I'm happy with the way his progression has gone lately as a character. Uh, I'm happy that WWE, NXT specifically, is focusing on building Roger Strong up because with that in-ring ability, you have to figure out something for this guy. He's too good as an in-ring performer to get nothing. So I'm happy he's got, he's starting to get that opportunity. Bobby Roode, his promo last night was so freaking good. That's what makes Bobby Roode great. He may not be the best wrestler, but he's got a great look, and the guy can cut a promo better than anybody in NXT. Uh, Killian Dane versus Noe Jose, some solid action there. Heavy Machinery was in action, so was Billy Kay and Peyton Royce against uh, Sarah Logan now, who was formerly known as Sarah Bridges, who was formerly known as Crazy Mary Dobson. 
yeah, a lot of names for Sarah Bridges. She's now known as Sarah Logan. So NXT right now, there is no direction yet on what they're doing with their storylines. All we know right now is that Strong versus Bobby Roode right now is a possibility of happening. Asuka has not been shown yet on NXT television ever since she won her match at TakeOver Chicago. Ember Moon, you have to believe, is going to be that next challenger yet again for Asuka. Heavy Machinery is getting built up to be the next opponents for Authors of Pain. Of course, with Ciampa being hurt, it's unfortunate that we're not going to see Ciampa or Gargano go at each other yet on television. But uh, you know, right now, NXT is at a position where it's going to be a little bit of a slow, you know, slow couple of weeks for them until we start getting closer to TakeOver Brooklyn. That's when things are going to get picked up, all right? Because, you know, as as we get closer and closer to TakeOver events, that's when the NXT shows get better and better and better. So when we get closer to TakeOver Brooklyn, expect to see better shows from NXT. They're going to be good no matter what because they're NXT. But as we get closer to a TakeOver event, they will get better over time. Again, right now we're in slow season with NXT because there's no TakeOver close enough to build up to. But... It'll be here sooner than you think. TakeOver Brooklyn. It is announced. It will happen, I believe, August the 20th or August 19th. One of those two got one of those two days, excuse me. And Mash Card, we'll see what happens. But uh, NXT overall last night was solid, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Hopefully, for Roger Strong's sake, he does get that opportunity to wrestle for the NXT Championship. Is it going to happen at TakeOver Brooklyn? Possibly, but are they going to wait that long? Maybe not. I still think it's going to be Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Roode at TakeOver Brooklyn, which tells me that Strong versus uh, Roode is going to happen at a TV taping, which would kind of suck, but that's reality. You can't always get your way. Also last night, Atami turning heel. Awesome to see. Him versus Cassius Ono could be a great feud. Will that happen at TakeOver Brooklyn? Who the hell knows? We're a long ways away from it, but overall last night, Ryan, I thought it was a very solid NXT. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, I really haven't seen a bad NXT show in a while. I mean, even when it is bad, it's still pretty good, if that makes sense. Uh, that's just, you know, the nature of NXT. That's just what they are. I mean, uh, they always produce good shows. And, of course, when you have Triple, Rate, tri- Triple H excuse me, running the show, no doubt it's going to be good. I mean, he's got a great vision, a great mind for the business. We all know that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, last night was nothing too special. Good promo from Bobby Roode, though. Of course, like you said, he's an average wrestler in the ring, but his look and his mic skills are what has carried him to the success that he has today. Uh, and it's why he's the NXT champion. It's why he had so much success in TNA. Uh, it's just a reality. He's that damn good on the microphone. He's a great heel. And that's just who Bobby Roode is. So looks like Roderick Strong is going to get that opportunity. We mentioned that last week. Uh, like you said, I don't think it's going to be drawn out to take over Brooklyn. It's way too long uh i think it's going to be on a tv taping and i'm not sure when the next set of tapings are at full sail university but i would assume they are soon uh again you got to start taping and and further the furthering storylines for takeover brooklyn which just got announced for august 19th i think like you said uh so we could basically probably predict a match card right now let's be honest like you said heavy machinery probably going for the tag team titles against the authors of pain i'm sure ember moon and oscar will do battle again uh drew mcintyre bobby rude Ono and um, Tommy, and you know maybe one other match, but that that's basically probably going to be your takeover card right there in a nutshell. So, uh, like you said, there it's going to start picking up in the next few weeks and over the next you know month or so as we head into Takeover Brooklyn. But right now they're just at a little standstill. Which again, what what could they possibly do now? I mean, it's way too early to start building up for Brooklyn. It's about two months away. So 
you know, for, for what it is right now, though, it's not terrible. I am looking forward to seeing Roderick Strong get a shot at Bobby Roode and seeing how that match goes. But, of course, we don't think he's going to win. We don't think he's going to be the one to take the belt off of him. But it should be good. So, like you said, in the next coming weeks, it'll start to pick up. All right, so there's your WWE talk. Uh, let's now talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, there's a lot going on right now with New Japan Pro Wrestling. This past weekend, we saw the conclusion of the best of the Super Juniors tournament on Saturday. Kushida versus Will Ospreay in the finals. Um, we both picked Kushida to win that match, Ryan, and we were right. As Kushida beat Will Ospreay in an absolute thriller to become a two-time best of the Super Junior tournament winner. Tremendous match. Again, these two guys, I mean, what I loved about the match so much is that the athleticism was off the charts. The spots were tremendous as well. But there was one point in the match or one part of the match which I did not like, Ryan. I hate really critiquing matches like this because they were so good. And the credit goes to Osprey and Kushida for putting on a great match. And I also love the fact that most of the uh, participants in that tournament were also out there by the... Um, the size of the ring watching this match closely. That was pretty cool to see. And, of course, they didn't, they did not get involved, of course. That was good to see as well. But uh, the one part of the match which I just could not understand, Ryan, and, and this happens a lot in wrestling these days, and I just don't get it. It's stupid. So, early in the match, Kushida was attacking Will Ospreay's leg. Working on it, working on it. Ospreay's screaming in pain. Oh, my God. He's breaking my leg. You know, really overselling it, basically. And then... All of a sudden, as the match moves on, Kushida then shifts the focus to Osprey's arm slash elbow, putting no more work on the leg, and then all of a sudden, Will Osprey's leg is okay. Will Osprey can stand on it. He can do crazy moves again and again. I don't get it. He's working on your leg. You should be still selling the leg injury. Well, I mean, that just shows you that Will Osprey, even though he's been doing this now for a little while... He still has lots to learn. He really does. It was so funny, Ryan. You see this guy early in the match. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My leg hurts. Holy shit. He's breaking my leg. Oh, my God. It hurts so bad. And then he moves on to the arm. Will Osprey's like, all right, my leg's fine. I mean, really? I mean, come on, Will. Even though, yes, Kushida is moving to a different body part, you got to still sell the leg. That's what you got to do, Will, you got to sell the leg. I don't want to bash you because I thought you looked great in that match. You had a tremendous tournament. But that is one part of the match, Ryan, that I just sat there and go, this is so stupid. You have Kushida work on one part of the body. Osprey selling it like it's the worst thing in the world. Next thing you know, Kushida's moving on to a different body part. And then Osprey's leg is A-OK. It's 100%. So, so stupid. But for the match itself, Ryan, you can't really bash it. It was really, really good. Again, the athleticism was off the charts. The spots in the match were off the charts. I mean, the, the stuff that they did, I mean, whether it's Will Ospreay doing a Spanish fly off the top rope to the stuff that Kushida did, uh, or that reverse Karana on the apron. Oh, my God. First and foremost, I don't know how Kushida or, or even Will Ospreay's neck didn't get severely damaged. I mean, when Will, when Will Ospreay hit that move... He landed on his head. I couldn't believe Will Ospreay was continuing the match. And by the way, Kushida sold that perfectly. He sold that reverse Hurricanrana perfectly. Tremendous stuff, Kushida. And the finish of the match was great. 
awesome stuff. Kushida deserved that victory because there's a storyline going on with the current situation with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. So it was a tremendous way to conclude the finals, Ryan. It was a great way to conclude the tournament. Getting a chance to watch it, part, uh, getting a chance to watch it closely this time around was fun to see. A lot of great matches in this tournament. Was Kushida Osprey the best match of the tournament? No. Uh, Meltzer gave it a five-star rating. Do not agree with that, Dave. It was not five stars. It wasn't even the best match of the tournament. I thought Osprey and Ricochet were better because they were more safer. They told a better story in that matchup than Kushida and Will Osprey. They just did a little bit better work together than Kushida and Will Osprey. Uh, but overall, Ryan, what a hell of a match. It was really great to see. I mean, Osprey, great future ahead of him. Kushida, one of the best in the world. They delivered a tremendous matchup, and it was a great way to conclude what was a very, very fun best of the Super Junior Tournament. Yeah, and thank you to Kushida for backing up my pick. From the beginning, I picked him to win this tournament, so thank you, Kushida, for making me feel smart and actually coming through. That was pretty uh, good right there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the match was tremendous. I, I really had no problems with it. I didn't expect it to be bad at all. I, I mean, I've seen Kushida and Will Ospreay go at it before, so I knew exactly what to expect. Uh, it was intense. It was physical. Had a lot of great spots. But, yeah, like you said, Brian, him no-selling that. You know, again, that's what a lot of, you know, independent wrestling gets criticized for nowadays is, you know, the no-selling. Uh, and, and, again, Will Ospreay is a huge example of that. Uh, and, again, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Will. I'm a huge fan of him. But I get the criticism on him. I really do. I mean, a lot of people don't like him, and I understand why. But you know what? I appreciate him. I appreciate what he can do in that ring because it still is uh, freaking – I mean, he still is talented as hell. I mean, whether you like the breakdancing moves or whatever he does, you know, high-flying stuff. Yeah, I get it, the flippy shit and all that. It's not what a lot of people want to see when they watch pro wrestling. But, again, it's talented. And, and you can't take anything away from the abilities of Will Ospreay. He is tremendous. Uh, the, rever the reverse Rana on the apron. Oh, my God. What a move. I have not seen anything like that uh, before. And that was just incredible. Like you said, Kushida sold that tremendously. Uh, again, it got really intense towards the end, which usually tends to happen in New Japan matches. Uh, so it was a great way to close out the tournament. Like you said, did it deserve a five-star rating from Dave Meltzer? Probably not, uh, but it was very, very close to a five, but I wouldn't have gave it a five. But you know how he is when it comes to New Japan matches. He just loves them, uh, and I've yet to see him give a five-star match to anything outside of Japan. Uh, but that's the way he is, so uh, those two guys, kudos to them, hats off. It was a great performance. Kushida picked up the win. Uh, no surprise, like I said, I picked him from the start. Uh, you know, Will said he's going to take some time off now and regroup and think about what he's going to do next. We're going to get Kushida and Hiromu Takahashi this weekend at Dominion, so that's going to be cool. Uh, so, yeah, overall, it was a tremendous way to end the tournament, uh, and congrats to Kushida for winning uh, his second Best of the Super Juniors in about four years. So congrats to him. Now, before we jump into Dominion and give our predictions for this Sunday show, I want to talk about this going on uh, regarding Progress Wrestling. So, as you all know, August the 12th, New York City, Progress Wrestling is coming over. And they're putting a show together in New York City. There's a match right now that is being teased by the fans and the talents themselves that are trying to convince Progress Wrestling for having this match happen on August 12th. And I'm talking about Joey Janela versus Jimmy Havoc. So, what's the story? Well, Joey Janela, who is very active on social media, 
has been talking about the possibility of facing Jimmy Havoc, a guy that is very similar to Joey Janela in terms of the risks that these guys take. Because both these guys are very popular for their work in death matches. And that's what we're going with here. Joey Janela said that he wants to face Jimmy Havoc in a death match of some sorts. And he wants to do it at Progress Wrestling. Even though Janela is not under contract or doesn't work for Progress Wrestling, he wants a match with Havoc at Progress Wrestling. Which has led to many fans going out on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, spreading the word. We want hashtag Joey versus Jimmy. I've done it on the Instagram page. Some of our biggest supporters have done it. They've created edits. One guy created a whole freaking video package of a Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela matchup. I mean, fans want to see it. And even Joey Janela has acknowledged it. And even Jimmy Havoc said he would love to step in the ring with Joey Janela. So, Progress Wrestling, I know you're not listening, but hear the fans out. Hear me out. Have this match happen. I mean, because first and foremost, me, you, Ryan, are going to be there. As well as a lot of our biggest supporters, we're going to be there. And we want to see a hell of a matchup. We want to see that type of match happen. And I do believe, Ryan... That we're going to see this match happen. If more people continue to spread the word and share this. Progress is going to have no choice but to have this happen. How, If you're Progress Wrestling. If you are the big guys at Progress Wrestling. Like Jim Smallman. How in the hell could you say no to this? It's too good to be true. It's too good to pass up. It has to happen. So for those listeners right now. That have not spread the word. Go on your social media accounts if you have one and spread the freaking word. Hashtag Joey versus Jimmy. We want to see Janela the bad boy versus the Havoc death machine, Jimmy Havoc. Ryan, before the predictions for Dominion, your quick thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that they acknowledged it on Twitter uh, just before just tells me that they are going to book this match. I mean, there's no way. If this many people want it, and again, them just acknowledging it right off the bat here... It tells me that they are going to book this match. I mean, there's no reason not to. Uh, I don't even think Joey Janela would even throw out the challenge if he didn't think that there was a possibility that he could get booked on the show. So I definitely think it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time now. Uh, again, we're, we're a long ways away from that match happening. So uh, that event happening, I, I should say. Uh, so I don't think they're even thinking about booking any matches as of yet. Uh, I don't think that any of matches are going to be announced uh, anytime soon. I think at least, you know, give it until July for that to happen. Uh, but, you know, I do think they're going to have to, you know what, if, if they didn't have that plan already, they're going to be forced to book that match because of the amount of people that are dying to see it. And you know what? Give the fans what they want. This is not WWE. These independent wrestling companies care about the fans. Give us what we want. Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, I think it's bound to happen. And it's going to be epic. It's really going to be epic. So I'm hoping that's going to happen on August the 12th. Finally, guys, we're at the end of the show. Prediction time. This Sunday, one of the most highly anticipated events, I believe, in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I will go as far to say that, is Dominion. You can basically call Dominion the SummerSlam of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It is the biggest event of the summer, the one-night event of the summer. I won't say the biggest event of the summer because you had the G1 Climax, but that's a, that's a, an event that happens you know, two weeks, basically. It's a two-week event. The biggest one-night event of the summer for New Japan Pro Wrestling is hands-down Dominion. And the card they put together is tremendous. There are a lot of rematches from Wrestle Kingdom 11. 
as well as some newer matches added to the show. And we're going to give you guys our predictions. We'll kick it off with a six-man tag team matchup. Just a nice match to throw onto the show. David Finley, Shota Umino, and Tomoyuki Oka against Harai Kawato, Katsuya Kitamura, and Tetsuhiro Yagi. No comment. I'm only picking Finley, Umino, and Oka for the win because I know David Finley. He's the son of Fit Finley. He's a pretty good talent in Japan for wrestling, and that's why I'm picking him. So give me David Finley, Umino, and Oka to beat the other guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, usually these this first matchup, the first couple of matches on New Japan, uh, big pay-per-view events like this really don't matter. They don't mean anything. It's just simply put together because they have nothing for these guys to do with it, so they throw them in a huge tag team matchup, and this is just a perfect example of that. I don't really think too much of it. I will go with David Finlay's team, but uh, really this match has no meaning to it whatsoever. All right, eight-man tag team matchup here. Uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzin, Satoshi Kojima. Of course, those three guys formed the tag team uh, Tenkozi. Along with the legendary Jushin Thunder Liger and Manabu Nakanishi, they'll take on Tiger Mask, Tiger Mask White, also known as Kota Ibushi, Togi Makabe, and Yuji Nagata. Again, like, like you said, Ryan, one of those matches where guys had nothing to do. They throw them in a tag team match. Uh, again, here's another scenario. Who am I picking? <clears throat> I'm picking the two Tiger Masks, Maccabi and Nagata. I just think they have a better team overall. So give me uh, Tiger Mask, Tiger Mask W, Maccabi, and Nagata for the win. I'm going with the same team as well. Again, no meaning to this whatsoever. Just another match thrown together just for the hell of it, basically. So I'm going to agree with you, Brian. I think they pick up the win as well. Now, the rest of the card, there is a title match. And our first title match on the show is a gauntlet match for the never open weight six man tag team titles. Now, this match is so interesting because <clears throat> we have th the five teams of three represented by five factions. So, all five major factions in New Japan for wrestling, members of each faction are in this match. So, the current champions of Los Ingonables de Japon, Bushi, Evil, and Sonata, will defend their titles against Bullet Club members. Bad Luck Fale, Hangman Page, and Yujiro Takahashi versus Chaos members Tomohiro Ishii, Toroyanu, and Yoshihashi versus Suzuki Gun members Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Big opportunity for him versus Taguchi Japan, which, which is represented by Juice Robinson, Ricochet, and Rusuke Taguchi. This is tough. You know, these are, you know, five great teams of three. All key factions of the of, of the company are in this match. It could be anybody. I believe we're going to have a tile change. I really do. I do not see Bushi, Evil, and Sonata retaining their gold. I think we're going to see major tile changes throughout the show. And this could be the first one. Who has the best shot of winning this match? I think it's Taguchi Japan. I really do. Juice Robinson is a great singles talent. Really making a name for himself in New Japan. Ricochet is one of the absolute best in the world. And Taguchi himself is a very fun talent. So, tough match to predict, but I'm going with Taguchi Japan to walk out of this gauntlet, the new never openweight six-man tag team champions. Yeah, Brian, I agree with you again. I think so as well. I mean, I, I could see LIJ retaining, but I do feel like it's going to be a title change again. Big event. New Japan usually likes to change titles like this. So, uh, I do think we are going to see that. And... Out of every team, I just think Taguchi Japan has the advantage. Uh, I mean, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. 
and the rest of Suzuki gone. That's an interesting team right there. But again, I feel like thrown together at the last minute too soon uh, makes no sense if they randomly win the belts. I think Taguchi Japan is has the best shot of winning the belts if there's going to be a title change. So I agree with you. I think they pick up the win. All right, another tag team match is for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. The Young Bucks are back in Japan for the first time in a long time. They take on the current champions, Rapungi Vice. This is the first rematch from Wrestle Kingdom 11. Of course, back then, uh, it was Rapungi Vice that picked up the victory, and they beat the Bucks for the tag team titles. This time around, it's going to be the reverse. The Bucks are winning this match. No-brainer. I will be absolutely shocked if the Bucks don't win this match. They're back in Japan. They're going to make a statement. I believe this match could be very, very good. Their first match was a little bit short, but they will get a lot more time this time around. They both have great chemistry. Those two teams should be a very fun, exciting matchup. But give me the Bucks to once again become IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. I agree. I think they pick up the win. And, you know, this is about the 500th time we've seen this, uh, you know, battle between these two teams. And, again, this is one that I'm not going to complain about because every single time they're in there, I think the match is always solid. These guys know each other, like, you know, better than anybody. Uh, so I do think the Bucks will pick up the win uh, and regain these IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. But I think it's going to be a great match like it always is. All right. Another tag team match for the tag team titles are on the line. The IWGP Heavyweight tag team belts will be on the line. The current champions, War Machine, will defend their belts against the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga Tangaroa. Um, I think we're going to see uh, War Machine retain. I, I do believe we're going to – because, look, not every belt is going to change hands. We're going to see at least one or two belts stay with their current holders. And I believe this is going to be one of those cases. I mean, G.O.D. could definitely win this matchup. They're capable of becoming champions again. But War Machine has made such a great impression on New Japan Pro Wrestling that right now may not be the right time to take the belts off of War Machine. And I'm also going to go as far to say that I think the Killer Elite Squad, and that is, of course, Lance Archer and Davy Boy Smith Jr. of Suzuki Gun, I think they're going to be the ones to beat War Machine for these belts once Archer comes back from his injury. I don't think it's going to be G.O.D. Should be a physical matchup, but... I mean, we're going to see a lot of tile changes, but this is one of those occasions where I don't think we're going to see a tile change. So give me War Machine to retain the uh, heavyweight tag team titles. I think so, too. I mean, they definitely should. They just got these belts on a good run with them right now. Uh, just to give them back to G.O.D. I mean, why? For what reason? So um, I'm hoping, and I do think they do retain. Like you said, this show is probably going to have a lot of title changes, but I hope this is not one of them, and I don't think it will be. I like your prediction on Archer when he comes back. Uh, you know, them regaining, them taking the belts off of War Machine, I think it makes sense. I thought, you know, for sure when Suzuki Gun first came back, they were going to be the ones to take the belts. And, of course, his injury derailed that, uh, put him out of action for quite some time. So hopefully he's back soon. Uh, so I do like your idea on that, but I do think War Machine walks out still the champions. All right, Matt, next matchup is a special singles match. And this could be, I mean, it's not going to get a lot of time because there's so many other matches that has to happen, but this on other New Japan shows could be the best match of the show. Cody Rhodes versus Michael Elgin, all right? On many other shows in New Japan and in any other company, this would be a main event match. And to see this match as the sixth match on the show is incredible. It just shows you how deep of the roster that New Japan has. So Rhodes versus Elgin, going to be a hell of a matchup. Give me Cody Rhodes for the victory. 
Uh, he, I think he needs it more than Michael Elgin. You know, Cody Rhodes hasn't done a lot in New Japan ever since he debuted at Wrestle Kingdom 11. He's had his uh, share of appearances, but I think personally, Ryan, that if he does win this matchup, I think Cody Rhodes is going to be guaranteed a future world championship opportunity to who that is against, who the heck knows. Hell, he could even win this match and challenge a guy like Tanahashi or Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. I think whoever wins this match overall, Ryan, will get a title shot, whether it is the heavyweight or the Intercontinental. One of these two guys is going to be getting a title shot very soon, and who deserves it more right now? I think it's Cody Rhodes. He's doing great work all over the world. He has yet to get his fair share in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's had some great moments, but he deserves a lot better. So I think in this matchup, it should be fun. Both guys are great workers. Give me Cody Rhodes, though. To, to pick up the victory and beat Big Mike, Michael Elgin. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is Cody's first loss. I really do. I think Big Mike picks up the win. It's going to be tough to see Cody going over Elgin here. Um, but, I mean, you know, I could definitely see it happen. Again, New Japan is very unpredictable when it comes to this stuff. But I'm going to go with Big Mike. And I, I'm really looking forward to this matchup because I think it's going to be very solid. These two, I don't think, have ever faced off against each other. So, very intrigued to see this matchup. Uh, but I, I'm going with Big Mike to pick up the win here. It should be interesting, but I just feel like he has the edge. It is a toss-up. You can't say it's a no-brainer that Rhodes is winning. It, it is a definite toss-up, so that should be a fun match. Uh, moving on, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Match number three between Hiromu Takahashi and Kushida. I'll say this right now. Other than Kenny Omega versus Okada, this match will be the match of the night. All right, It's going to come down to either this match or... Or the main event for match of the night. No brainer. I love the story, Ryan, with this matchup. It's a great story. Takahashi versus Kushida. Their first match at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Classic. Takahashi won the match. Great stuff. A couple months later at Sakura Genesis. Kushida gets his rematch. Gets obliterated by Takahashi in a minute 56. So what happens next? Kushida bows. To get his revenge on Takahashi. And the only way he can do that. Is by winning the best of the Super Juniors. Guess what? He wins the best of the Super Juniors. And now he's gotten his opportunity. To get his revenge. And revenge he will get. As I do believe. Kushida will knock off Takahashi. It just wouldn't make sense Ryan. To have this whole thing happen to Kushida. To have him go through all this. To have him bounce back from a terrible loss. To win the best of the Super Juniors. To lose to Takahashi, I mean, don't get me wrong, Takahashi is a tremendous talent, and he's a tremendous champion, but in this storyline, Ryan, it just makes too much sense to give it to Kushida, he has to win this match, it really wouldn't make sense if Takahashi wins, now if he does win, I won't be mad because I love Takahashi, but let the story make sense, and I do believe Kushida winning makes the most sense, so I'm expecting a tremendous matchup, it could be match of the night, if Omega and Okada don't destroy each other like they did in their first matchup. But this time around, we're going to have a new champion. So give me Kushida to walk out once again, IWGP, junior heavyweight champion. I think so as well. Like you said, why would they put him through all this? Make his comeback, you know, this, you know, drag it out like this. Have him go through hell and back just to win the Super Juniors again. Uh, to get this title shot again, just to lose. I mean, I hope that Takahashi retains, but... I just have a feeling, again, New Japan's going to switch the belts up here. Again, this is just another example of how they always love to do title changes on these big events. And I think this one is where we see a title change. So I agree with you. I'm expecting Kushida to become uh, the junior heavyweight champ yet again. 
Moving on to the Lumberjack Deathmatch for the Never Openweight Championship. Minoru Suzuki versus Hiroki Goto. A rematch, not from Wrestle Kingdom, but from Dantaku. These two guys met at Dantaku. Suzuki became the champion that night. And now they're getting their rematch. And it is in a very interesting stipulation. The Lumberjack Deathmatch. What do I expect? I have no clue because I don't know what it's, what's in a Lumberjack death match. But this match has tremendous potential to be one of the best matches of the night. It's going to be hard hitting, no doubt about it. If you're a fan of Japanese strong style, you're going to love this match. Because Suzuki and Goto fit that bill perfectly. Suzuki, all about the submissions. Goto, all about the strikes. Going to be a very fun match up here. And I'm looking forward to seeing... How this match goes down, a Lumberjack death match. I've never heard that before. Should be interesting. Who's going to win this match? I think Suzuki's going to retain. Again, just like War Machine, Suzuki just got this spell. He deserves a great one as champion. Could I see Goto win? Absolutely. But to me, Suzuki makes the most sense. So give me Suzuki to walk out. Still, the never openweight champion. Yeah. Again, this is a toss-up as well. Uh... Not much has happened since that match, you know, where Suzuki gained the spell. Not much has really happened between these two. Ugh, do they give it back to Goto or not? I'm going to go with Suzuki retaining as well, just as a safe bet. Um, what what this stipulation is, I have no idea either. It sounds pretty cool. I'm sure it's pretty cool. Um, I'm all in on it, so I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. But I think it just makes sense. Like you said, he just won this. Uh, again, if he loses, I mean, really, he came in with such a bang with this faction. Uh, you know, as the leader and fails, you know, uh, to take the heavyweight title from Okada. So what else is he possibly going to do if he loses to Goto? Again, it, it would make no sense. So I think he holds on to it. Moving on to the co-main event of the evening for the Intercontinental Championship. Another rematch from Wrestle Kingdom 11. The current champion, Tetsuya Naito versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Their battle at Wrestle Kingdom 11 was tremendous. Their second matchup is going to be tremendous. However, though, Ryan, we're going to see a title change here. I fully believe that. Even though Naito is my guy, and I'm going to be rooting for him to retain this belt, to be honest, I think it's time for Naito to get back into the world title picture. I really do. I mean, look, you know, you have Omega, you have Okada, but that's pretty much it. You need more names in the world title picture, and Naito, to me, is always that third guy in command, if not the top guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling, in my opinion. I think he's that good. Uh, Tanahashi, if he loses this match, I mean, what else is there for Tanahashi to do? His career is coming to an end. Uh, he's going to retire very soon. Why not give him one more run as Intercontinental Champion to really pay homage to him to say thank you for all your service in New Japan Pro Wrestling? And again, I think it has to do with more that it's time for Naito to get back into the world title picture. He's had a great run as Intercontinental Champion. I think it's time for a change. So to me... Should be a great matchup, but we're going to have a new champion. Tanahashi wins, and I do believe after this, Naito will be right back into the world title picture. Yeah, I hope it doesn't happen, but I agree with you. I think it is. I think it's only a matter of time. Uh, you know, before this happened, I was afraid it was going to. Uh, you know what, like you said, one last run, I guess, if you know his career is coming to an end. Does it make sense? Not really, because what more does he possibly have to prove? Uh, by winning this belt, it really doesn't do anything for him. It just hurts Naito, if anything. Um, but yeah, I think Naito's run is going to come to an end, sadly. And uh, Tanahashi is going to win the belt again. They've built this up so much uh, towards this rematch that I just feel like it makes too much sense not to give the Tanahashi at this point. So I do think this is going to be another one of the title changes. Uh, not going to be happy about it, but I am expecting it to happen. 
And finally, the main event. The main event of the century. Excuse me, the rematch of the century. Okada versus Omega 2 for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Again, guys, I call it the rematch of the century because, in my personal opinion, it is the greatest match in the history of the business. Some of you disagree, and you have the you have your opinion, of course. Others think that Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker was the rematch of the century at WrestleMania 26. Others will say Austin Rock at WrestleMania 17, rematch of the century. Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair, rematch of the century. Uh, Andre versus Hogan, rematch of the century. And those matches deserve, yes, that type of honor. But I think Okada Omega is the rematch of the century because I think it's the greatest match in the history of the business. And I am so interested, Ryan, to see what these two guys have in store for us for an encore. They put it out all, they put all on the line at Wrestle Kingdom 11. They put everything on the line where they did the craziest things you can think of. What could they possibly do to top their second match? First and foremost, excuse me, their first match. First and foremost, is it going to top the first match? No, it's not. I have no idea and have no clue how they're going to top that. If they manage to top the first match, then Mark Okada and Omega as the two greatest performers in the history of wrestling if they are able to top that first match. But I think it's impossible. No matter how great both guys are, it's impossible. But it's going to be a great match no matter what. It may not be better than the first one, but it's going to be great no matter what. I think it's going to be around 38 to 42 minutes of duration. It's going to be a long match. Is it going to be longer than the first one? I don't think so, but it's going to be very close. Who's going to win this match? Ryan, it's Omega's time. It just is. It's Kenny Omega's time, all right? We thought he was going to win the first time. Did not do that. Was it the worst thing in the world? No, it wasn't. When we watched the match, it, it didn't hurt that bad to see Omega lose. This time around, though, Omega has got to win for multiple reasons. Number one, Okada has had a great run as champion. He's been a champion now for a year because he won the belt at last year's Dominion. So he's been a champion for a year. That's a good enough run. It has to end. I love Okada. He's tremendous, but it has to end. There's nobody on that roster in that company that makes the most sense to beating Okada than Kenny Omega because he was the closest one to beat him. Number two, don't forget, they're coming to the United States, New Japan. They are expanding. They're having shows on the West Coast. I think Kenny Omega, for marketing reasons, is the better guy to be champion during that tour. That's number two. And number three, Kenny Omega is oh so close to having a complete career in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's done it all. Whether he's the Intercontinental Champion, from being a six-man tag team champion, from being junior heavyweight champion, uh, introducing the ladder match to New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, winning the G1 Climax, being the leader of Bullet Club, main eventing Wrestle Kingdom 11. He's done it all. The one thing that he has not done yet is win that championship, the heavyweight championship. If he wins that belt, then guess what? Omega has a complete career in Japan, and that's all he wants. And if you're Gato, you saw the performance that Omega gave at Wrestle Kingdom 11. How in God's name do, not, do you not give this guy a championship? Because let's be honest, Ryan, if Omega doesn't win this match, where does Omega go from here? What does he do next? He's not going to win the G1. We all know that. He's not winning that 
tournament again. I do not see that happening. How is he going to get another matchup? I don't see it. And if Okada wins, who the hell is going to beat Okada? The only guy I could believe is Naito. But again, Omega at this point makes the most sense. So I cannot wait for this match. It's going to be insane. It's going to be awesome. Whatever word you want to use, it's going to be off the charts. And I'm expecting it, Ryan. We're going to crown a new champion. And deservedly so. So, going to be a great matchup. It's going to be another match of the year contender. And this time around, Ryan, Kenny Omega has got to get it done. And I think he's going to get it done. Give me Kenny Omega to win this match and become the new IWGP heavyweight champion. Yeah, I mean, this is the match that everybody's, you know, been waiting for. The rematch, the century of, the rematch of the century, like you said, Brian. The most highly anticipated rematch in history. This is the reason I'm staying up all night to watch this show for this main match right here. Everybody's going to be wanting to watch it, especially after the performance from Wrestle Kingdom 11. Again, though, I, I said this before we mentioned this match. They cannot try and top the last match. They need, need to do something totally different. They need to make this completely separate from the last one. Do not try and top it because there is no topping it. They're still going to make magic. They're still going to do something amazing in there. But do not try and, and do more than you did you know, at Wrestle Kingdom 11 because it's just not possible. But like you said, Kenny Omega has got to win this match. If you don't win this, where does he go? What happens? Who beats Okada if it's not Omega? If this is not Omega's shot, who beats Okada? This will mark one year since Okada became champion because he became champion last year at Dominion. He can't survive this Domin this year's Dominion again. He can't. He cannot win this match. It's Kenny Omega's time, like you said, going into the G1 shows in the U.S. I think it makes perfect sense. And again, like you said, G Kenny's not winning the G1 again. So where does he go for the rest of his New Japan run for this next half a year if he don't win this match? I think he does. I think he becomes champion. I cannot wait. It's going to be an incredible moment. I, it's time, like you said. There's no other way around it. So I think it's going to be a tremendous show capped off with Kenny Omega holding that belt when it's all said and done. Yeah, completely agree. It's his time. And hopefully it does happen this Sunday. And like you said, Ryan, it will be a great moment to see him win that championship, celebrate with the rest of the Bullet Club, and begin the Kenny Omega era in New Japan for wrestling. That's all the time we got, people. Thank you for tuning in again, guys. If you happen to miss us live here on itsyourradio.com, check us out. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Our episodes usually go up the day after, so expect this episode, this podcast version of the episode, to be up on iTunes and Stitcher tomorrow, some point tomorrow, whether it's in the afternoon or the morning. Depends on when I get the chance to upload it. Uh, again, guys, if you want to follow us on social media, go right ahead. Follow us on Twitter at Royal Ramble IYR. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Royal Ramble Wrestling. And follow us on the Instagram as well at Royal Ramble Wrestling. Hopefully everyone enjoys their weekend. Also, this Saturday, Saturday guys, heads up, the Brittany Nicole episode. Uh, I'm interviewing the uh, ring announcer tonight, Brittany Nicole. That episode, that interview should be up Saturday, hopefully. So, give you, uh, so hopefully you guys can tune into that as well. So enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy Dominion. I know I am. I know Ryan's going to. Enjoy it. Should be an awesome show. Big show for us next week as well. Same time, same channel here at itsyourradio.com. Recap of Dominion and predictions for Money in the Bank, plus other news going on in the wrestling world. There's always news, so be sure to tune in. 4 p.m. Eastern next Thursday, itsyourradio.com. I'm Brian Sendek. He's Ryan Martorano. This has been the Royal Rumble Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Enjoy the weekend.